This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody, and a happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Top of the morning to you. Are you wearing green? <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's hidden. Oh. I do that to trick the staff. Ben, are you wearing green? No. Um, no. Okay. Just checking. Well, it's kind of green. Yeah, I forgot green today. Um, but nobody knows that because it's hidden away. So, and we're, we're at an age that if you get pinched, you can just go talk to HR. Do you know what? If I get, yeah. <laughs> can I not talk to HR? Uh-uh. No. Because it, it would be by your peers. You'd be uh, just having fun. Yeah, and technically you're beneath most of the staff. Beneath so the be careful today. If I, Even HR will be Yeah, <laughs> they will. You, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting holiday, and later in the show, one of our producers will be giving us the history of St. Patty's Day. There's a St. Patrick. She Well, she goes through talking about St. Patrick. She talks to a woman from living in Ireland at the mm-hmm. moment and uh, asks her, like, do you guys celebrate this? Well, you know, what yeah. is it? It's interesting some of the, the, how the, the traditions that we have here on this day actually – went back to Ireland and they oh. adopted some of the stuff that we started. Really? The crazy stuff we it's, started. It's their holiday, yeah. but then we co-opted some things and they've adopted things. So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of, I. she says, what do you want me to ask this woman from Ireland? And I could only think of one thing. Lucky Charms. She asks the question. Good. We find out <laughs> if they eat Lucky Charms yeah. in Ireland. Stick with us. You're going to want to know that. This is the information that you'll only get on this show. Now, if you went to Ireland, yeah. say like on vacation, mm-hmm. you would probably purposefully eat Lucky Charms. Oh, for sure. They're magically delicious. Right. Today would be the day to eat Lucky Charms. <laughs> Today is the day Lucky Charms sales go off the charts. Hey, it's also National Corn Beef and Cabbage Day. Mm. We had this talk the other day. I don't think I've ever had corned beef and cabbage. I had it for dinner on Sunday. Wow. It's good food. Yeah, I think I had Spam. Mm. No, that's Ben's meal. I, uh, is it good? What, I mean, what do you love about it? It's just... Is it, it cabbage It's a different... I, well, I have told you, I have... I don't know why, but I really like cabbage. Something about cabbage is just, I can just eat it all day. There's just something about it. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't get enough cabbage. It's really kind of odd. No, but it is. You like Brussels sprouts? I do. And as, is... and as a kid, I probably wouldn't have liked it. That's interesting. My mom would never have cooked it. She just turned, to this day, she turns her nose up. So my wife, hoping that at one of our family gatherings that no one would ever ask her to bring any food again, she made Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but she made the mistake of wrapping them in bacon. Oh, yeah. So That's everyone different. was on board. Who doesn't love a That's bacon? That's a rookie mistake. Even, even my father was like, oh, seriously? And he ate it and he goes, That's not bad. That's not bad. I'll have four more. But yeah, the bacon masks the Brussels sproutiness. Bacon can mask anything. You could put bacon on a tire. Oh, yeah. And I'd eat it. Be kind of chewy, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe that'd be a bonus. It's, uh, it is magically delicious. Uh, by the way, in the news, um, they canceled the, the debate in Utah. They did. And this is we're going to be asking our expert today. Ruth Sherman will be joining us, talking us about, talking to us about the debates. She's a communications expert and, uh, you know, a consultant uh, that's sought after by these campaigns to help them with their debate prep. And the reality is, is we need we need to not let the I think I think we don't need to let the uh, politicians decide if we're doing a debate. No, 
You just hold the debate. Except that just happened. And if two people didn't show, then <laughs> it's a two-hour Ted Cruz lo- you know, love fest. He was going to be at the location, you said. So It's crazy. You now, can't... Now, now he's going to be at uh, the uh, what's called APAC. Yeah. It's the U.S.-Israeli policy. This is going to be Trump? That Trump's going to be yeah. at. But Cruz, once they canceled the debate, he signed up too. Now he's back at that same event that Trump's at. And he's like, well, I guess we're both at the same place. If he'd like to debate, we're ready to go. Because if, if yeah. you remember a couple weeks ago, right. he said he, he can't wait to have Ted Cruz one-on-one. I think I think Trump is absolutely afraid now to debate. Yeah. Because it would be – it would have to get into policy. There's not as there's, – there's – well – there's not a lot of time. Well, Rubio's not left to try to uh, to out joke, I guess, Trump, <laughs> yeah. and so so Cruz tries to stay on on point and on topic, yeah. and, that, and that may kind of intimidate Trump, seeing that he's maybe never that's had to what's do that. happening. Is Trump is he's trying to buy himself some time to gear up and figure out what his policies are going to be? Yeah. Huh. Anyway, so that's happening. And because of that, uh, Utah now is starting to be bombarded with, oh, with all of the, the media, the political ads. and I saw Bernie Sanders ads. And... For, for the rest, the half of the country that has gone through this, I am so sorry we didn't understand what you were going through. We've never had this. No. Nobody has cared about Utah because it was always Republican central. And it was already decided by now. Yeah, for the most part, whoever was going to be the nominee was it was decided, and the rest of this was just for show. And so we, the Utah and a lot of places in the West, and it kind of be yeah, ignored. Yeah, forgotten. Uh, Bernie Sanders is in town. Yeah, and I just heard an ad from Ted Cruz. <sighs> just it's, turn, just turn it off. I can't. It's like, it's like you know when a moth is circling that electrocution lamp. Okay. What do you call those? A b- uh, bug zapper? There you go, yeah. Bug taser? Yeah, bug taser. Hey, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. A little marketing. Taser! It. That's what it's like to to watch these, these uh, political ads. You just want to watch it, and it's in your head. You're like, oh, I hope he gets zapped. <laughs> Ooh, I hope that one gets zapped. <laughs> It's just the strangest thing. So we're sorry for all of you that have been through this forever. Um, uh, also, uh, apparently, we've got a new SCOTUS candidate. Supreme Court Justice been nominated by President Obama. Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland. Come on down. Merrick Garland, um, I think he's just a sacrificial lamb. That's what Summer Sent saying. up yes. to just be – to hang out. And pretend like he's going to be but vetted. But so, somebody, somebody had to be nominated. Yeah. And yeah. Some, some have actually said that Garland was up for previous positions, previous appointments, but this, uh, they held him until for a situation like this mm-hmm. to where he's someone who the Republicans would like, but they're choosing to step away from that. In fact, the, the, the Republicans would like it so much that Orrin Hatch – actually proposed his name like five months ago, right? He said, if you put somebody up like like this well, what, Garland it, it, it guy. It was in 97, I think, he was, he was appointed to the federal uh, court that he uh, sits in in the D.C. circuit. And uh, there's video, and President Obama mentioned it in the uh, Rose Garden right. address that he made. And so all the news media grabbed the, the clip, and 
Orrin Hatch, Senator Orrin Hatch, speaking very highly of him, says there's no reason anyone should not a, a vote to appoint this man to the federal. He's a great man. I know him personally, he says. And hmm. and now it's it's a different story. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back off. Back off, everybody. Back off. In fact, let's go, let's go to clip five. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says Obama's politicizing the process. Biden rule reminds us that the decision the Senate announced weeks ago remains about a principle and not a person. It seems clear that President Obama made this nomination not with the intent of seeing the nominee confirmed, but in order to politicize it for purposes of the election. Yeah, so McConnell's like, you know, he's just politicizing it. He's making it, a, he's making it about politics. We shouldn't be going here. I used that in several arguments last night. It yeah. works really well. Really? It's about a principle, yeah. not a person. I told my son, I need you to go get in your pajamas so you can go to bed. And he goes, I'm already in my pajamas. And I go, it's about a principle, not a person. <laughs> How'd that work? <laughs> he just looked at me like, well, my, my wife starts laughing because we just watched it on the news. Uh-huh. I'm like, it's about a principle, not a person. He's like, I'm already in my pajamas. He, principle. Does your son understand what a principle no, is? No, he has no idea. Okay. That's what's fun about it. He's just but like, you, I could see you using that in oh, totally. all, all sorts oh, of arguments. I use that all the time with my, with my own, in my own classes. It's about the principle. So- McConnell is citing the Biden law. The Biden law. Because Joe Biden did the same thing they're do the Republicans are doing now to Well Bush. so did Obama, right? Like and Obama, Obama I mean they've they've got no legs. It was stand the on. Samuel Alito appointment. Right. Obama was part of the filibuster to try mm-hmm. to stop that. So now everyone is like, you always have someone acting innocent and yeah. somebody, you know, you're the bad guy. And they're saying, well, you just did it before. And, and that's the president's what... trying to do this because it'll upset the – it could upset the voting and maybe swing some of these senatorial elections because it's showing that the, that the GOP is just – they're just obstructionists. Yes. Hmm. Uh, but Senator Orrin Hatch has been weighing in on it as well. And – He's he's kind of gone every which way on this issue. And Senator, he's a big deal because he's, I think, the senior ranking member he's the senior... on the Judiciary Committee. Yes. So uh, let's listen to what Orrin Hatch has to say. Well, this is the most important issue in this presidential campaign, and it's a big reason why people should vote re- for the Republican nominee, whoever that may be, because the next president is going to probably have somewhere between three and four judicial picks on the sort, and they could uh, that could turn the whole constitution around and it could reshape the entire process the entire process and uh he was on he was on fox business with neil cavuto he was on with neil cavuto and neil had gone through and asked about the process now cavuto's looking at this like you guys are just playing games yeah the democrats did it before you're doing it now this is an important situation you know that's the supreme court why can't this rise above any sort of politics why can't this just be about the court and and Hatch wasn't you know going to back away from his position, but so Neil Cavuto asked him, okay, let's say there's a Republican in office, he's in the last year of his like term, President Bush, like President Bush, yeah, and and he you know there's an appointment that comes uh, a seat that comes open, he makes an appointment to a nomination to the court. What do you guys? What do you do? Do you hear that appointment or not? So let's hear the senator. If it's a Republican president gets in last year, he's in office. He submits a name. You, as a Republican and a prominent one of that, would tell him, no, we can't consider it. Well, I think we would. I mean, we, I've actually advised presidents not to do, do that. But we, for, unfortunately, we haven't had any, any late uh, situations where somebody's been put up other than Justice Kennedy. And that was after they had smeared Bob Bork 
and, and hurt Ginsburg. Fair enough. And Nevertheless, then, it was in the final year of, of, of Ronald Reagan's presidency. Well, but uh, everybody just kind of gave up. I understand and, that, but there is precedent. Yeah, there's precedent, but it wasn't a toxic year like this. Mm. So, in Orrin Hatch's mind, Senator Hatch, this is a toxic year. Oh, it is. Oh, but it is. It's Pol- pretty toxic. Politics are never toxic. No, it's this, always, everyone's this always in agreement. This year's different. It's a different level of toxicity. Well, well, because that's Trump's riding on the toxic wave. He's just riding it right to the right. beach with his hair flapping in the wind. And it was funny to watch Cavuto sit there and he kind of rolled his eyes. Like, Did he? Oh, come on. <laughs> This is this is politics, right? And, and yeah. so in, in in his mind, it sounds it's beautiful. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, of course I would. So and the rest of us are like, but, but what about the principle? And and Cavuto was asking, why don't you break the cycle mm-hmm. as a leader in the Republican Party? If you guys break the cycle, yeah, hold the hearing, and then you can say yes or no. You'll probably you know you could s- still do what you want and say no, but you went through the process. Yeah, but see, they can't hold the hearing because that would give it the attention. That's right. They can't give it the attention. And we learned last week someone was talking about that would bring up a lot of issues that are in the campaign Uh right now. And then Republicans sitting there interviewing would have to admit they're against the Uh city. The policies would have to start coming out for Trump. So this is crazy. (laughs) It'll I think it'll be a lot easier to get a Supreme Court justice through if Hillary Clinton wins. What they're saying is there's the possibility, say Hillary Clinton wins. You have that oh that what, ninety day ninety or, yeah, day 60 window day, yeah. sixty day window. At that point, the Republicans jump in. Hurry, hurry, hurry! <laughs> nominate, confirm this guy because he'd be a moderate choice compared yeah. to anything that Hillary Clinton would put forward. Yeah, that's pretty smart. Yeah, so maybe that's why President Obama puts this forward because then he gets his guy through anyways. And yeah, he gets a third justice in. Hmm. But apparently, also uh, a lot of black females are mad because there's they didn't he didn't nominate a black female. Right. So all of a sudden you can't win. Like it's another white guy that went right. to Harvard. Yeah, it's those Harvard guys. Hey, let's get to the headlines. What else is going on around the world that we need to pay attention to, Terry? Another news: uh, Donald Trump backing out of the planned Republican debate that was to be on the twenty-first. Some are saying Trump is afraid to defend his ideas in front of the American people. Here's Ted Cruz, who was on Fox News last night. I, I guess he he doesn't like when anyone challenges him. You know, he was saying just a week ago. That, that he was eager to get one-on-one with me. Well, this debate, the, the, the field has narrowed even more, and he could have had a direct debate with me, and, and yet Donald apparently is ducking. He's afraid of being challenged. In other Donald Trump-related news, Trump winning the presidency is considered one of the top ten risks facing the world this year, the Economist Intelligence Unit said in a global risk assessment Wednesday. The economic and geopolitical research firm warned the Republican frontrunner could disrupt the global economy, raise political and security risks, and give terrorist recruiters a boost. Mm. A Trump presidency is considered riskier than Britain leaving the European Union or an armed confrontation in the South China Sea, according to the research firm. Wow. The ranking uses a scale of 1 to 25, with Trump rating at 12, the same risk level for, quote, the rising threat of jihadi terrorism destabilizing the global economy. The report warned that Trump's hostility and strong language towards Mexico and China could escalate rapidly into a trade war. Interesting. And The Economist located in Britain, so they're looking from the outside in. And Ooh, of, but you know what? It's Soros. It's Soros. Of course. 
He's doing this for Hillary. Get Trump out. The orca is also known as killer whales. SeaWorld will be the last generation to live at the water parks, the company said. SeaWorld will stop breeding them immediately. The company has faced public scrutiny for its treatment of the mammals since tw- the mm. 2013 CNN documentary Blackfish debuted. Have you seen that, that yeah. documentary? Yeah, and I guess, I guess they're not going to... Are they going to get rid of them out of the park? I thought they were just going to keep them there and show them in their habitat, but no longer, yeah, no longer ride the. Orca. And, and they're not going to keep breeding more in yeah. captivity that Good. way either. So, uh, President Obama selected at the University of Kansas as his pick to win the 2016 NCAA tournament. He has accurately picked North Carolina to win in 2009, but hasn't made the right choice choice in the subsequent years since. So, don't pick Kansas is what we're trying to say here. Oh, uh, too late. Obama's a you know, too late. A harbinger of death for the team, apparently. <laughs> Obama's previously selected the Jayhawks to win 2010 and 2011. He thinks the University of North Carolina will meet Kansas in the final. The economy will experience a significant slowdown starting at noon Eastern when the first games tip off. Duke takes on UNC Wilmington right there about noon 15 or so. Do you think Hillary, if she wins the presidency, is going to do a bracket? I don't think so. Bummer. We're losing a tradition, folks. Hey, uh, we are going to take a break. When we come back, Ruth Sherman will be joining us. She is an expert in uh, in communications, a sought-after consultant who works with uh, public figures in their, their public campaigns, especially their stage presence and their work in debates. And we're going to be discussing an article that she wrote about how to improve and fix the broken debates. Uh, heaven knows many of us are tired of watching them just because you're not getting much information out of them. We're going to pick her brain and find out what we could do to uh, to make them better. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Political debates have long been a part of our democracy. In particular, presidential debates have been used as a means to better understand the candidates, their stance on pressing issues, and gain insight into how they would lead our country. However, over the years, the process has become less dignified, especially this year. In fact, almost childish. From schoolyard taunts to insults to inappropriate references, this presidential season has had no shortage of entertainment But has it educated you about your candidates? The debates have become an opportunity for the media to boost ratings rather than provide the public with the necessary information that they need to make an informed vote. So what do we need to do to fix this debate process and our debate system? On the phone with us from Greenwich, Connecticut, is Ruth Sherman uh, from the website ruthsherman.com. She is a strategic communications consultant. She is a speech consultant to celebrities, to politicians. She coaches people on how to have a better debate. And we are so excited to have her on the show with us. Ruth Sherman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Excited to be with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. This is, you must be going crazy. As a professional watching uh, these debates, what are you thinking? What's going on in your head? What I'm basically thinking is, oh my goodness, (laughs) let's get 
this thing together already. It's almost been, uh, at the beginning, I should say, I was thinking this is just a, a gift from heaven to yeah. somebody like me. Right, you could like make my, so much money on this. Well, I, it's not even the money, it's just so interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting from where I stand. But on the other hand, as a voter, as a citizen of the country, it's scary. Mm. It's frightening. And I, I, I've observed that uh, a lot of people aren't doing the jobs that we, quote-unquote, have hired them for. Right. So it's, uh, it's a problem. And I think that the debates have not served us well, not served the public well, as they should. So... You know, hopefully somebody will be out there paying attention, and, and they have. They and, have paid attention. And part of that, it seems like, it used to be the media, the journalists that would then kind of moderate the, these debates, they they would keep it to the issues. They would They would push the deeper ideas. They would kind of push toward the gaps. What's going on with the media that uh, that maybe you're not so impressed with? And there's a conflict of interest, and this has been in the works for many years. It's nothing new, Matt. It's just a matter of how the corporatization of the media, the consolidation of it, the chasing after eyeballs or whatever you want to call it, you know, readers, uh, have been, has been, uh, and, and of course the, the, the necessity of the media to uh, the competition out there. I guess mm. that's what it is. It's the competition. I think there's something further that's going on too, which is the devolution. I would call it a, a, a devolution of uh, media into opinion, quote unquote, journalism. Mm. So many of the sites that the true believers go to, or what, where we get our information, and I'm no different, I'm no better than anybody else, is we go to these opinion sites. So uh, they, they call themselves journalists. They're all staffed by journalists. But ultimately what you're getting is opinions. Yeah. And you're not getting unbiased news. There's a reason for that. I mean, un, uh, this is what people want. It's, it's more entertainment, like you said at the beginning, than it is news delivery or unbiased reporting. Hmm. Do you think that's why yeah, Donald's doing so well? I do. I know it for a fact, as a matter of fact. Uh, I've been told by journalists that, sadly, and they are saddened by it, mm -hmm. these journalists, that their particular outlets need to sell advertising space or time, and this is what the corporate owners need. They need to stay afloat. So I don't know what the answer is. I'm not uh, in the business of journalism. I'm not in the media business to, to be able to analyze, to see how do we keep journalism clean at mm -hmm. the same time they can make money and stay in business. I don't know. I don't it's know it's interesting because on one side, Donald, you know, seems to hate the media, a la, you know, Fox News and Kelly. Uh, what's her name? Yeah. Megyn Kelly. Right. And, then, right. and then on the other side gets beat up because he's so close and tight with Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough and mm -hmm. all of that. So it's and again, he's he's a he's a media master and he's, I guess, just able to play it. And because people need ratings, he can get on anytime he wants, anywhere he wants and get as much free media as he needs. Absolutely. And, you know, in fact, I had just written a newsletter last month about 
that exact thing. So in advertising and uh, in marketing, as you probably know, there's this old adage that goes something like, when everybody zigs, you zag. That's right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, Donald Trump is a master of that. He knows that it is a bad day when he is not being covered. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what the coverage is. Furthermore, the personality that he has established over his many years of being in on TV and in reality shows and certainly in the business arena, he has, again, established a, a personality where we don't expect him to be introspective. We expect him to be brash and right. bullying. And, and so he's gotten away with many things that the other candidates simply cannot. And because it's so unusual in the presidential campaign, he gets the coverage. Ugh. It it's gets so the true. Leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and then meanwhile, they're spending, what, $40 million or whatever to fight him in Florida. And he oh, all yeah. he had to do was, you know, make some time available for all the networks and be on at the most important time of the day. And his his media was free. One of the things you brought up in your article, how to fix the broken debates, is that, that there might be a benefit to an organization like PBS who's not in the for-profit game. Right, exactly. And when, I, when, when Time asked me to write that article, I felt like, okay, great, so maybe uh, I can have a voice here. But the idea that PBS was, that was just at the moment, I think, that PBS was doing the debate. We, we wrote it right before that. But the idea that they don't have advertisers that they have to satisfy. And because of that, I think they were able to get a little bit, more information from the candidates. But here's something else, too, that I noticed, and this is, a, this is both a boon and a problem. Mm. So when, right after I wrote the article, there was quite a bit of attention paid to it, and I noticed some improvements. So one of my complaints was, start the debates on time. Don't make people sit around and wait. They're yeah. busy. Don't you know, tease. Right, it's a te- tease television us. tease, right? We don't want to watch, you know, all of your pundits sitting there, you know, uh, doing the horse race thing. We want to see the candidates actually doing it. And, I, and, I'm, and we're tired, too. We worked all day. <laughs> we want to, want to get to sleep at a reasonable hour. But um, so they, st- they seemed to have paid attention to that for, I'm going to say, in media, in media time, about five minutes. <laughs> and so there were a few debates that followed immediately that were started on time. And then the second piece of it, and I think one of the most important pieces of it, was don't let them get away with lies and obfuscations and prevarications. Yeah. Don't let them do that. You know, you have, this is, this is, um, yeah, information is delivered with the speed of light. Get your researchers to let you know, let the moderators know in their earpieces when somebody is, you know, making making a, a fool of mm-hmm. the of the uh, uh, listeners. And so we saw that for a little bit, but then the the negative part of that, of course, is that that is no longer that article was written a month ago. So, yeah, 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 you know, gone. Now they're back to their old trick. It's down the river. When you saw that a little bit more in one of the latest Fox debates with mm-hmm. the GOP side, where they showed video of three statements they've made, and I mean, I like that they're kind of prepared like that because you know you're going to hear things that don't jive with other things they've said, and 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 you want to kind of confront them. 
Absolutely. And so that was, I did watch that, and that was a very good effort on the part of Fox to confront them with that. But then what ends up happening, and this is another problem in the whole debate system, time is so limited. Mm -hmm. And when you've got that many people on the stage, and I don't remember how many were on the stage at that point, probably about five. Yeah, five, four or five, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they, it, in the course of two hours, that doesn't leave many uh, much time, including the commercial time, the breaks, and etc. It doesn't leave much time for each candidate to say anything. So even though they confronted them with those videos of their actual words or actual behaviors in recent years, they weren't. Once the candidate, the candidates are media trained. Oh yeah, do this work. Well, that, you go. Goes. Yeah, you go coach them, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, they're media trained. They know how. They know the the worst questions that are going to come their way, and exactly how to dance around them. And so there's just not enough time to really say, "Listen, I don't care what you say. You're, you know, you're not being truthful, and let's move on." There's yeah. just not enough time to even. Nail them. Well, and you you made a great point about when you have a race of 17 people in the GOP, there's there will be no time. There's just no no time. So it's almost not even worth having the debate at that point, isn't there? I mean, it's like they're not even. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth having the debate. We want to see these candidates. Don't forget. Most people, most voters, the ones who are interested at this early stage, and you and I both know that people don't really get interested until the summer right. before the election. But most people who are interested in this at this stage aren't going to their websites. They're not reading their detailed policy prescriptions and proposals. They're not really digging in. They're just a few diehards like mm-hmm. me, you know, probably you who, yeah, who yeah. You know, read all this stuff. But the most people are getting their information from them on TV. That's where they're getting it. So the coverage is super important. So I do think that the 17 candidates, yeah, that's a lot, but they should be out there, should be covered. But the debates, they shouldn't have, what was it, 12 people on stage in one debate and yeah. five in and then another. the under table. Yeah, it should be evenly divided. My feeling is if they can do it with speed dating and speed networking, <laughs> they can mix it up a little bit in, uh, you know, in the debates. It isn't perfect. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Ruth Sherman. We're going to take a break, Ruth, and come on back. And I'd love to get into what you thought about the Democratic side. And then and some of these town hall kind of meetings, I, I really like those where, you know, the press and the media are just asking questions to one candidate. It seems like you can get a lot deeper on the subject. We'll have more with Ruth Sherman. She is a media uh, consultant and an expert who basically coaches uh, people how to speak better, how to be present themselves in the media better, how to debate more effectively. She's a pro, folks, and an artist. Uh, incredible um, resume. So we'll be back. Continue learning with Ruth Sherman when we come back. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you've been frustrated by these uh, past debates, you know, people mentioning spray tans, hair, faces, you name it, it's crazy. And uh, 
We wanted to bring on a true blue expert in the field of media coaching and consulting. Ruth Sherman is joining us. She has a wonderful website, ruthsherman.com. She is uh, uh, does a lot of writing and is an author and a speaker. She prepares business leaders, executives, celebrities, public figures, and helps them fine-tune their speaking and presence on stage and on camera and in the media. We uh, also had just read an article she wrote in Time uh, magazine, How to Fix the Broken Debates, and we're honored to have her back. Ruth Sherman, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks so much. I'm, hey, I'm having fun. Talk to me about, uh, you, you did mention that you, these, they're, the candidates are so coached. And Hillary Clinton had a line that it was, it was really a great line. And she got a, a lot of, you know, excited fan, you know, response to it. But here's the line. And um, just tell me what would have gone in for the team to make this line. When we hear a candidate for president call for rounding up 12 million immigrants, banning all Muslims from entering the United States. When he embraces torture, that doesn't make him strong. It makes him wrong. Wrong. So, and lots of cheering after. So um, I'm assuming that that was planned. Of course, totally planned. So tell us the background. What happens? So what are the... What are the people behind the scenes doing with Hillary to make that happen? Well, she's got a, a, a team of expert message development people and writers who are very well versed in rhetorical flourishes. And the one that you just heard, it doesn't make him uh, strong. It makes him wrong or them, whatever yeah, the pronoun yeah. that she used. It, uh, you know, it's, it's an old fashioned device called it's rhyming is what it is you would have expected her to say it doesn't make him strong it makes him weak yeah exactly right yeah that's what i expected but no it was it was uh, strong and wrong it was like okay that i can remember so what they're doing is they're trying to insert and they're testing because frankly hillary clinton's messaging has been subpar which shocks me yeah shocks me with so much money and and expertise in her Absolutely. Uh, But in any event, so they've been testing messages. Uh, One has been breaking down barriers. You may have heard her say that over and over again or using the word barriers Mm -hmm. uh, frequently in the last month or so. But this was a new one that they're testing. And this is one that I suspect that we will hear going forward because you're right. Now, don't forget the people in her room at that time were her fans. They were her diehard fans. So we'll see. Well, and and Donald's... Oh, sorry, not to interrupt. No, 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 no problem. Donald would have been different. Donald would have said, it doesn't make you tough, it makes you an idiot. Yeah. He would have used completely. a loser. Exactly, yeah. and a yeah. loser, and everybody would have. <laughs> it's interesting. You almost have to find your voice, though, right? You have to. You have to. And I think that that is a struggle for Hillary Clinton. I think that that has been one of her main struggles. As she said in something, I guess it was the town hall. Maybe it was the town hall debate that we, or the town hall appearance that she made, that she's not a natural politician. She said that she's not natural. She's not. She's not natural. And uh, so that's uh, an unfortunate thing. She wasn't given that gift. But But when she says that, it seems real. Right. So when she says, I'm not my husband, I'm not Barack Obama, that's totally believable. And and that's a great voice to have. I'm not them. So if she'd use that voice instead of pretending to be them, it it, it would work better. 
Yep, you hit the nail just on the head. I was exactly, I felt exactly the same way. As soon as I saw her say that, I said, oh man, that's from the heart. That's from the heart. People can see it a mile away. We're human. This is the way we, this is a survival technique. Who do we trust? That's why the debates are important, right? So we can feel it and see who's lying and who is, who's legit, who's, who's got integrity in their own voice. That's right. And, you know, people will follow a leader, whether they agree with everything they say or not, if they feel mostly what they say, of course, mm-hmm. you know, f- fits them. You know, uh, they think that they understand their lives, their needs, etc. But they will g- follow a leader who has some level of being able to be in touch with their feelings, mm. right? Being Don't, able yeah. to understand it. It seems like Bernie Sanders is a great example of somebody that is totally in his voice. And you may people may not like his politics, but he just is Bernie. You know what I mean? He, Bernie. You, you yeah. can't even make him you can almost see when he doesn't want to say things or when he's being kind of compelled to say things that aren't him. I mean, it's that's why I think the debate, you tell me as an expert, has the debate been different on the democratic side with just two people? It seems like it's gone deeper than oh, the yes, GOP absolutely. side. Yes. Is oh, that absolutely. more of an ideal approach, uh, what we're seeing on the Democratic side as far as debates are concerned? Well, I mean, you've got so many, so many fewer people to, be, to spread around uh, the, the time. So when we were talking about the 17 versus, what was it, four or five people yeah. initially on the Democratic side, and then the quick narrowing down of the Democratic um, uh, campaigners, so it, it it just worked out that way. And at some point, it will be the opposite. There will be a ton of Democratic candidates and just a few re- Republican candidates. Mm. But yes, of course, the more time there is, the more they're able to get into the policy. The thing for Hillary Clinton and De- Bernie Sanders is that there isn't such a difference between what they want right. for the country. So they've had to distinguish themselves based on personality, right? So there's been some personality differences. Yeah. But on the Republican side, there's a complete break, it seems, in <laughs> yeah. philosophy, just in general and political philosophy. So, I mean, even, even beyond, going beyond what the kind of communication that Donald Trump has, which is unique in the history, right. in our history, right, right? Uh, and, and the rest of the candidates. But even among the candidates themselves, look at John Kasich versus Ted Cruz yeah, right. and Marco Rubio. Now, now Rubio was interesting. I, I tweeted the other day that I was, I was going to miss Rubio. I was going to miss his eloquence. Mm-hmm. He was a gifted speaker. Oh, yeah, he is. You know, and, and what impressed me the most was his ability to recover from the Chris Christie takedown. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you know, and within he, a week, right? I mean, yep, he, within yep. a week. Yeah, he came back. He showed that he, he did have metal and he could, you know, he could get back on mm-hmm. track. And, and he gets nervous. And I kind of think that's endearing. It is you know, endearing. Be, it's human. Be, yeah, it is. It's humanizing. He'll get better. He'll be back. I'm not worried about Rubio. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I will miss him because there are so few good communicators. Out and there. Which is so probably few. why Hillary was so afraid of uh, him or the Hillary campaign was they saw him as the number one threat. I agreed with that. I, I guess that's I before agree. they knew yeah. about Trump. I mean, Trump's, <laughs> Trump's like a loose fire hose that's just flying all over the place and someone's going to get, you know, hit in the kisser. 
Yeah, I'd be very nervous if I were her uh, and her team about Ugh. running running up against Trump because he has done things that have again never been seen before. Yeah. It's very unpredictable. I, you know, among many many others, predicted months ago that he was a flash in the pan. How wrong! And I should have known better. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, your better. media background, huh? Right. I should have known. Yeah. What do you think? Yep. Um, because that, that is, I guess, one of the things that Donald plays on with everyone is the fact that he's the ratings guy. I mean, this is the first candidate that brings up if he's even going to go to a debate and he wants to be paid because he's bringing ratings. What yeah. candidate thinks that's a that's how you think as a television star, as a television star's agent. Right. Agents. Agents have a bad reputation because they talk like that. Um, Absolutely. But he's playing on that. What you were saying earlier about the media needs ratings. They need money. They need money. Exactly. So we circled back to that. And it's a very unfortunate development development in our democracy because we always look to journalists and journalism and newspapers and news outlets to protect us. To speak truth to power. Isn't that what their job ultimately is, to find out the truth? And yet we've not been well served by the media because of all of the corporatization and consolidation and need to make money mm. to stay afloat that has uh, you know, come about. And uh, so, yeah, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's hard to just I think as a voter to know what to do. What would you suggest that we do, just as everyday voters, to to make sure we understand what's going on in the debate and and you know not get carried away, you know, in some of the petty arguing that we've seen. I think the first thing is that you really can't get the full picture of what a candidate is going to stand for by watching these debates or watching them in these short interviews. You've got to go and do your homework. Know that this is a profound decision. It's going to affect your life, your children's lives, your, you know, generations, for generations to come. Certainly because presidents generally stay in office for two terms, but beyond that, they appoint Supreme Court justices, which... And other judges, mm-hmm. right? And other judges, federal judges, uh, that have impact, have lifetime tenure. Presidents come and go, but justices and judges at the federal level have lifetime appointments. So you've got to be mindful of that. So do your homework. Uh, make sure that you know. The second thing is that when you, when you sense in your gut that somebody's handing you a line, know it. For, know it. Know what you know. Yeah. Respect your gut. You're, it's not... It's not magic that we have that ability to know when somebody is not being truthful. We we know it. It's and and so pay attention to that. It's a survival mechanism. Mm. It exists for a reason. Yeah, and then and then you can take that. Uh, I guess that that weird sense of something going on and go research more. Absolutely, you you have to research more, and you've got to go to the right places to research. I'm not going to begin to recommend what they are, but don't go to the opinion site. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. Go to your local. Your, there are world newspapers. Um, they are they are all, all often editorially they are in favor, but editorial and newsroom are separate. Right. So know that, and you know, look at the right. Look at the journalistic articles, not necessarily. The opinions. You're never going to get the full picture. You've got to pull it all together. It's got to be the right thing. I mean, most importantly, you've got to vote. So many people make a lot of fuss about the campaign, but then they stay home yeah. on election right. day. Regardless of who your candidate is, make sure that you show up. Show up poll. and vote, yeah. 
show up and vote, you know, or you don't. And in my, you know, in my world, it's like you don't have an, you don't have a right to have an opinion if you don't vote. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, man, Ruth, yeah. this is great stuff. And uh, thank you for your time. This I know it, it's hard to sometimes make some of these shows, but we appreciate your insight. Hey, thank you for asking me. I really enjoyed it, Matt. You bet. Ruth Sherman's her name. Go check out her website, ruthsherman.com. You can also find more uh, out about a bo- her book, Speakrets, which gives you the most effective uh, methods to market and brand yourself. Just essentials for anybody uh, trying to, to build a name or make a name for themselves. Great stuff, folks. We'll take a break. You couldn't get better advice than show up and vote, for heaven's sakes. Check your gut. Respect it. Do your homework. We don't have to believe everything they say. We'll take a break, folks. Be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's fun to talk to somebody that coaches these candidates. Some of them are so bad at uh, knowing what to do and how to do it. Can you imagine being paid by somebody to, I don't know, change how a Bernie Sanders does stuff? Or how a Donald Trump. Hey, Don, we, um, we need you to not say some of the things you're saying. Well, you know, the whole Muslim thing. Could you just tone down that rhetoric? And like uh, we've heard, he he may not even believe some of this stuff because it works. It works. You know, there's the whole Times, New York Times uh, interview that he did that came up in a, one of the debates two or three, four debates ago where the big question is what is – what did he say off the record? Because with the journalist, he was saying something off the record. And many say what he was saying is he was saying it's not quite. I'm not going to keep talking about this wall thing. In the end, it's like not. It may not matter what they're saying, but it seems to matter to us, doesn't it? It seems to matter to us. What he, what he was talking about was uh, what with the New York Times, something around the idea of he's not really into this, uh, all the his immigration stances he's taken. Yeah. That he doesn't really want to go that far with it, but he did in the speech because it, right. as you said, it brought people with him. And that is there a, is there a tape of this? But the New York we, Times is like, it's up to Donald it's like Trump. Donald, we'll release, release it. Yeah, we'll release everything he said. Yeah. And he's like, no, I believe too much in the freedom of press <laughs> to keep their to keep their secrets especially when they're mine but what what it might be telling us is people will say anything to get elected right we're even finding out in a lot of these states where donald is doing well immigration's not even an issue it's not even an issue but what it might be that people like is the fact that donald seems so passionate about what he's saying He's a salesperson, and he might be just selling his message better. He may not even believe in the message necessarily. Many question if he is conservative, right? But he'll sell it. 
He'll sell it. And so uh, be careful. Check your gut on that and go get the information you need. You can get it from enough sources. And it doesn't mean he's just a bad guy either, these politicians. It might just be that they're, they really want to win. Interesting, folks. We'll take a break. Stick with us. More ideas, more tools next hour to help you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Top of the morning to you. Happy St. Patty's Day. Oh, have we got a show for you today. That's not an English accent. I'm not trying to do an Irish accent there either. I'm not trying to do an accent. So you're just Irish? That's just my excited voice. You, you open every show. Top of the morning to you. Top of the morning. But I'm not, that's, I'm not trying to use an accent. It I'm, sounds like it's it, It's an English... I'm just, you sound I'm using, like Lucky the Leprechaun. That's a little offensive is, to Irish speakers all over the world, Matt. But, but Americans can say top of the morning to you. Mm. I mean, like, can't you see Donald Trump get up there and say, top of the morning to you? No. But not like an Irish man. No, but I'm not... Using an Irish accent, I just get a high-pitched voice. I mean, Americans can have high-pitched voices. Oh, like a voice crack. Ben, (laughs) take a lap. Yeah. Take a lap. (laughs) Run around the building. Today we're speaking about speaking. We're talking about spelling today. Not to brag, but I was in the spelling bee in eighth grade. So was I, and I failed the first word. Did you? I'm kind of on purpose. I failed the second word. Lion. <laughs> I'm like, lion? Matt, will you spell lion? And I'm like, lion? Use it in a sentence. Like, I'm thinking, hey, we're lying around, eating crackers. And she said, the lion roared in the jungle. And I'm like, oh, lion, L-O-I-N. Nope. That's loin. Please sit down. And it was a Christian school. So everybody knew what your loins were. Wow. It was horrible. Yeah. All the second graders. Hey, loin boy. Mmm. I hated second graders. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. So we are going to be talking about spelling, and it seems like it wouldn't be a big deal, but listen to this one statistic. This is crazy. Of the 7,000 most common English words in a study... Uh, that is um, from the English Spelling Society, and we'll be talking to Stephen Lindstead from that society. Of the 7,000 most common English words, they they found um, 60% of those words had one or more unpredictably used letters in the word. So much for hooked on phonics? Yeah. Hooked on phonics doesn't work for everyone (laughs) because it's hard. It's way hard. To spell the English language. It's crazy. And so there's 205 ways, apparently, to spell 44 sounds in the English language. Right? For example, the word cat, kangaroo, chrome, and Q all start with the same sound. Four different ways of spelling that sound. (sighs) Ah. And apparently our brains are not advanced enough 
to get it until we are about, you know, mid-teen. So our kids are struggling learning our language. And the Spelling Society is saying, we have got to get on this. See, some people worry about ISIS and others are getting on the spelling problem. But thank heavens, we've got people everywhere. But it does make a, a barrier for learning when you're, you're trying to teach someone how to spell and, oh, no, no, it's this other letter. And then whatever rules they've built up to help them understand yeah. they're just being kind of I before E. Makes it difficult. Except after C. Idiot. Rude. So this is, you know, we are going to take on spelling. Some of the, the research is crazy. Like, do you even know where the alphabet came from? Uh, first grade? My it, point. It was, exactly. on a, it was on a banner above the chalkboard. <laughs> did it circle the entire room? It did. And then it started with numbers. Yeah. And, and then, then when the numbers were done, we got to the presidents. Yeah. Exactly. Isn't that right. where it came from? Uh, yeah. In the mind okay. of a little third grader, sure. <laughs> it was right there. But others might have known that it had a, it had a history. Latin? Latin. Back to Latin. Did it come from Latin? Didn't everything come from Latin? Um, yeah. Okay. Pizza. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> everything came from Latin. That's why I'm glad I'm fluent in it. You're fluent in Latin. A pluribus unum? Isn't it the, the swine genre of Latin? No. No? No. Oh. No, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a purist. I, I studied... Pure Latin, not the swine version. Oh, okay. <laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with the swine version. Well, yeah, you don't. I mean, there's people that make a living that way, but yeah, I can't do pig Latin. <laughs> once you've once you've tasted the purity of Latin, mm. you can't go pig on it. Okay, <sighs> that was odd. <laughs> totally. Hey, um, talk about odd. The town of Roses in Catalonia. Have you ever been there? No, I have not. It's a Spanish town. Sounds like a place to vacation. Mm -hmm. They voted to ban what has been one of Spain's most unusual and controversial festivals. What's that? It's the annual duck chase. Oh. It's held every August in the seaside town, during which ducks are thrown into the Mediterranean and then caught and brought back to shore by swimmers. Hmm. It's It's like a duck. You know, are you just tormenting the duck? Yeah, but they have, they have a festival. By the way, that is where the term "duck" to dodge something was mm-hmm. invented because they're throwing it at you. They threw a duck, and the guy's like "duck," and he moved his head, and right then they knew they needed to duck. You ever do that when you see a duck? Just scream "duck," see what happens. No, no. See, yeah, I guess that's just me. So you go to the zoo, yeah, and there's a duck, and you're like "duck," and then someone like. Inevitably, somebody like ducks and looks around like, what, what? I go, duck, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that why they removed you from the zoo? Well, there, I'm. yeah, there's a picture at the front gate. I'm not allowed in anymore. But the event- you have to have a, an escort every time you go in. Yeah. <laughs> They're He's watching. the only 30-something-year-old man that needed an escort at the zoo. Yeah, it's all right. I, I, I like the attention. And even his son doesn't want to go to the zoo anymore. No, he's like, you're so embarrassing. Son, do you want to go to the zoo? Oh, I'm good, Dad. Is he going to old duck again? <laughs> I have a lot of homework to do. The, the uh, duck throwing festival caused a stir last year when a woman attacked an animal rights campaigner with a duck. You're a monster. She, she took on a campaigner holding a duck by its legs 
and repeatedly hitting the the uh, animal rights campaigner with the animal, proving her point. Exactly. Okay. So the 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 person participating hits the protester with a duck. No, uh, the, the, uh, a duck festival contestant. Yes. Done grabbed a duck. Okay, and hit the animal rights protester. Uh huh. Proving the animal rights protester's point. Right. As you're abusing the animal. But, well, and the protester. I mean, well, and the, yeah, the right. animal rights protester. Huh. Yeah. A little irony there. I don't think that they were thinking. No. About who's proving what. You'd think if someone was protesting your uh, mistreatment of animals, you wouldn't mistreat an animal over the head of the and said the, protester. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just bad form. Yeah, but then you have some classes on how to act better in public. But still, the hard thing is it's entrenched because the town of Roses has been celebrating this way for ninety-seven years. This is a ninety-seven-year-old tradition, and you know yeah. some traditions die hard. Yeah, but you'd think throwing a duck into the ocean and then swimmers grabbing it and bringing it back in, people would just stop because it sounds kind of. Have you ever been to a rodeo? Ridiculous. Well, I know. Yes, I have. <laughs> I went to a rodeo last spring and they taped a bunch of – I don't know how they got it on it. But they – I don't know. They put a bunch of cash mm-hmm. all over an animal. Oh, they put it like on a jacket, <laughs> dressed the the, yeah. the sheep up in a jacket. And then you chase around and see if and, you can get the cash. And kids are chasing cash all over the ring. Yeah. We're weird. People are weird. People are a little odd. But the duck thing? That takes the <laughs> takes the cake. That takes the cake at the moment. But it is just a way to show our dominance over the animal kingdom. The web-footed. I own you, the- duck. <laughs> <laughs> it's so messed up. But because we are talking about spelling today, I thought it'd be good to know where the word duck came from. There you go. The duck of look out, something's coming at your head. Is that really where it came from? No, he's just making things because up. Because no. I don't think duck is a Spanish word for duck. No, it is. It's el duck. Pa- it's paton. El duck. Yeah. No. No? Not el duck? Yeah. It's that, but that is where the word came from. I would get in so much trouble in that country. I'd just put L and law in front of everything and hopefully right. that worked. But and then you'd probably end up in prison. I'd get arrested for something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy doesn't even. <laughs> What's he doing? No Spanish. Then they find out I'm from America and they go, oh, oh right. Say no more. American. Right. American. We're going to go now to our headlines. Terry, anything going on around the rest of the world that we need to be paying attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Wednesday that he will not budge in refusing to consider President Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland. Let's keep working together to get our economy moving again and make our country safer rather than endlessly debating an issue where we don't agree. Let's let the American people decide. The Senate will appropriately revisit the matter when it considers the qualifications of the nominee. The next president nominates whoever that might be. Hours later, Senator Mark Kirk of Illinois, a Republican in a tight race with a Democrat for his seat, said he will consider Garland for the high court. Senator Kelly Iotti, uh, Jeff Flake, Rob Portman, Susan Collins all said they will meet with Garland. So not all senators are. But many of those are in these districts that are up for election now. And so they're kind of worried that they will will look like they're an obstructionist. And as, as Mitch McConnell said, this is about a principle, not a person. Not a person. We will gladly evaluate the nominee. From the next president. So the next question, will the American people believe Mitch McConnell by saying it's a 
principal. I would doubt it. Not a person. So we'll see what happens there. The Cumberland County Sheriff's Office in North Carolina announced that five of their deputies have been disciplined for failing to adequately respond to a recent assault at a Donald Trump rally. 26-year-old anti-Trump protester Rakeem Jones was hit in the face by a 78-year-old man at a rally in Fayetteville on March 9th. Three of the deputies were demoted and suspended for five days without pay, while the other two were suspended without pay for three days. All of them have earned a year's probation. Wow. They, I think they stood around and watched. Did they watch the guy throw the punch? They were escorting the guy out. Yeah, oh, so... And then they, the old man punched him, yeah. and then they all just kept walking him up the stairs instead of grabbing the old You're guy. You're fine. Yeah. So. The guy was a flying elbow. The, More yeah. of the video evidence probably made the uh, punishments harsher. Right. As we read there. Less than uh, 1,600 votes officially separate Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders in the Democratic pri- presidential primary in Missouri after 100% of precincts returned results on Tuesday. Hmm. The difference of less than 1% has triggered an automatic recount in the state and has so far denied her a clean sweep of all five states that voted Tuesday. Clinton smashed Sanders in Florida, North Carolina, and Ohio, and won by a slimmer margin in Illinois. Hmm. So they're still That's counting crazy. in Missouri. Uh, the accused Kalamazoo gunman who charged with who is charged with fatally shooting six people last month has filed a $10 million federal civil rights lawsuit against Uber, arguing that its car service app it's the car service app's fault that he's in prison. Hmm. So he killed six people. But he's but blaming. He, he says the app that Uber has is at fault. The app was driving him crazy. I don't. Jason Dalton filed a handwritten complaint against Uber in the U.S. District Court of Detroit on Tuesday, saying the company ruined his life and doesn't care about its drivers. Dalton added the company discriminated against him because of his mental health. Hmm. The 45-year-old was charged with killing six people and injuring two others over a five-hour period when he was working as an Uber driver on February 20th. Dalton said he's seeking a jury trial and would represent himself in court, which always goes well. (laughs) Yeah, I have a feeling that's going nowhere and this uh, there's some new research a study says okay that's right up there with the florida man uh-huh a, a new dieting fad could soon be eating in complete silence yes a new study from researchers at brigham young and colorado state found that people who can hear the sound of their own eating chewing swallowing and so forth tend to eat less Ergo, listening to music or watching TV during meals could lead to unintentional overeating, according to a press release. This is true. As I'm eating, if I'm eating something that's huh. crunchy, I turn the volume up on the TV because I can't hear it. Yeah. The crunching is just too loud. I'm missing TV as I'm eating. And that's I need to have a. Interesting. Maybe that's both. why the obesity crisis, because TV dinners. People are watching TV. The Huffington Post uh, in UK reports researchers conducted three experiments to show the power of what they call the crunch effect. In one, for example, subjects listened to loud noises on headphones and ate more pretzels than uh, subjects listening to quiet noises. Researchers believe that it's because the sound of eating may be a consumption monitoring cue for our bodies. Sound is an important part of eating, but the the exact role has not been studied much. I love that idea. Plus... So when you get home and you're tired and you and you just want to eat and your wife's like, "Hey, can we talk?" You're like, "Shh." I'm, I'm eating. I'm trying to eat and lose weight. <laughs> She's gonna love that. <laughs> Women around the world are so excited. Now he's got another excuse. But that's true. I listen to Ben eating, and it's amazing. The more I hear him chewing 
the less I ever want to eat. You're welcome for that. <laughs> you are a loud chewer because it's like you're always – you have a lot of like moisture in your chew. Many people don't chew as loud and as – what's the word? Just – anyway. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, Stephen Lindstedt will be joining us. Why is English so difficult to learn? And uh, he's going to be representing the Spelling Society. But uh, English, a lot of people don't think it's that hard of a language to learn, but it may be for our youth, our children. Interesting stuff coming up. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Our location. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is my favorite song to learn spelling. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You know, some of the most difficult languages to learn include Chinese, Finnish, and Arabic. Although English isn't on the list, it's still no cakewalk to learn that language. Languages can become difficult to learn for grammatical reasons, because of colloquial terms and accents. The English Spelling Society, however, argues that it is, in fact, spelling that makes English a challenge to learn. And here might be one little hint why. We mentioned uh, this statistic earlier that um, there are 205 ways to spell 44 sounds, right? The words cat, kangaroo, chrome, and Q all start with the same sound. Eight and eight like you ate food, sound identical. It and item, same letters sound differently, don't they? Cough does not rhyme with enough, trough, trough, furlough, and bow. Same spelling. It might be a spelling problem, folks, so we decided to bring in the pros. Who better to teach us this than our guest today, Stephen Lindstead, chairman and honorary treasurer for the English Spelling Society. He joins us now live from UK to help us sort through the spelling mess. Stephen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm glad to join you. Honored to have you. And um, a lot. it's an interesting idea because we don't necessarily think of learning the English language as really a spelling problem, but you're making the argument that it is. Yes. I mean, English is not a difficult language to learn in terms of its grammar or syntax or punctuation. It's a lot more regular than many other languages in the world. But English does have this particular uh, burden to bear, which is its very irregular spelling system. And it's probably the most irregular spelling system of all spelling systems based on the alphabetic principle. And the reason for that is uh, largely historical. But the reason why English stands out as being so irregular is that not merely can you not tell how to spell a word from hearing it pronounced, but you don't always know how to pronounce a a strange word from seeing it spelt out in Mm. writing. And that is a kind of double whammy, which uh, English uh, does not share with most other languages, even though some other languages are not all that regular, like French or Portuguese. 
but English really comes to the bottom of the list in terms of regularity. Is it, and you're saying it's, it's based on the history. Um, talk about the history of the English language. What, is that why there are so many different, um, different just sounds and, and ways to spell those sounds? Yes, I mean, it is a complex story. It's a complex history. Um, the, right at the base, you have um, Norman French, um, dovetailed onto uh, Anglo-Saxon Old English and two different spelling conventions uh, all mixed up with no real rules for telling which rule applies. Then you get to the 15th century by which time English has uh, established itself as the official language again um, not written down with any degree of regularity by the clerks of the time. And then you get Caxton's printers who are Dutch who didn't understand English <laughs> very well. Then you add to that the great uh, vowel glide of the 16th century, where the sounds of a lot of vowels changed. Unfortunately, the spelling of them didn't. Oh, wow. And then finally, you get the early lexicographers of the um, 17th and 18th centuries who were not really interested in the phonetic principle at all. Um, and Dr. Johnson uh, was very great in many other ways, almost delighted in creating different ways of spelling the same sound. Ugh. I don't like and him. It's not changed very much since the 18th century. Yeah, the English language has, but the spelling hasn't. <laughs> well, and so it really is. It sounds like with all of these differences, it really is just the memorization of rules, well, or not even a rule. Most, really, it's just the memorization of a, a certain use. Yes, I mean with most languages, um, and you, you said earlier on before I joined you that um, Finnish was an easily language to spell although it's a difficult language to learn. Yes, it, it is a difficult language to learn. It's not an Indo-European language, but it does have a very phonetic uh, spelling system. So languages that are, may be quite difficult for an English-speaking person to learn uh, may be much easier to spell than English itself. Hmm. So really the language, the ability to kind of access the language is, is very much rooted and based in the ease of the spelling. Well, spelling is a factor. Um, as I said before, English is regular, quite regular in terms of its grammar and its punctuation. If you learn the rules of English grammar and uh, punctuation, you ought to be able to apply them. But you, you, there, there are rules uh, underlying English spelling. Uh, one of them is the doubling rule, for example, and the magic E. But the trouble is that English doesn't obey its spelling rules <laughs> with enormous frequency. So you have to learn when the rule applies and when the rule is not being applied. And so, in addition to learning the kind of phonic rules representation, you have to learn a great number of irregular words, and you just have to memorize them. Oh, wow. Is, um, when you think about it, I mean, I guess in European languages, uh, does English stand out? Is it different than Spanish? Like, I'm fluent in Spanish, and I feel, um, I feel like Spanish seemed to have fewer rules than the English language. Spanish, the, um, Spanish is a fairly easy language to learn. I don't speak Spanish very well, but it's, um, the, the rules of Spanish grammar are quite easy. And the thing about Spanish, it's a very uh, phonetic um, spelling. Uh, if you hear, if you see something written in Spanish, you almost automatically know how mm -hmm. to pronounce it. And quite often, if you hear the word pronounced, you've got a good idea how it's spelled. So Spanish um, 
is, um, has that advantage over English of its highly regular spelling. In fact, Spanish, along with languages like Italian and, and Finnish, come at the high end of um, what we would call phonemicity hmm. in relationship to the spoken word. One of the things that we found in um, this article, How Spelling Keeps Kids from Learning, it was in The Atlantic, and it referenced yeah. uh, a book by Masha Bell, who's the vice chair okay. there. And w- w- one of the keys, I guess, to this is that um, she, she quoted – or is uh, I don't know um, if Masha is a male or a female, but they quoted um, that they had analyzed in a study in your organization 7,000 of the most common English words and found that 60 percent of them had one or more predictably – unpredictably used letters. So 60 percent of our most common words have some deviation from the norm. You can argue about this uh, till kingdom come. I mean, exactly what is an irregularity and how frequently it comes. I mean, the, the, the estimates range. My estimate, which is a conservative one, is about 30 to 40 percent of hmm. words in the English language have got some degree of irregularity or uh, unpredictability. Other, others would um, put it higher than that. The real question is, to what extent does this irregularity make it difficult for children and for students of English as a second language to, to learn the language? And how diffi- what difficulties does it cause uh, for adults in, a la- in an age where, we, um, where literacy is very important? Hmm. And, and so um, it, it is – you do see – that it, it impacts maybe to some degree the child's ability to learn it. Plus, uh, age, uh, I'm, I'm reading in the article, age may also be impacting it, where some of the skills to sort through these deviations and these, these differences in the English spelling um, might not even be uh, available to the, to the child until they're, until they're older, until they're in middle school. Yeah, um... Clearly, I mean, there are all kinds of factors in the level of literacy in, in a country. There is the amount spent on education, the, um, the organization of education, and the teaching methods. But I think one of the factors which has been rather poo-pooed up to now is the um, influence of irregular spelling in a particular language. And there is now some concrete proof that English, the regularity of English spelling does have a, a quantifiable effect. There was a study done in 2001, 2002, by Seymour um, in the United Kingdom, and that showed that English-speaking children, compared with those in 12 European countries, took up to two years longer to master basic spelling compared with with the other kids. So um, that does represent an awful lot of teaching time and um, an awful lot of extra effort for kids. In fact, a member of my society in the States who joined recently said that what he found so frustrating about English spelling was it sucked the joy out of early education for children. <laughs> That's so true. That's true, though. I, I, totally, I totally feel that. And, um, but it's cause, – yeah, because it's so, it's so much to learn. Um, let's do this. I want to take a break and come back because I know that you have some profound insight into how we should be teaching spelling and and how we might even reform some of our spelling um, issues. And again, too, technology seems to be changing it. I have a son that writes us letters. He lives away. And uh, man, thank heavens for spell check because it's correcting <laughs> everything he does. So we'll have more with Stephen, uh, Stephen Lindstedt, and we're going to continue this discussion about English and uh, spelling with uh, Stephen Lindstedt from the English Spelling Society. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, 
learn and understand better how to learn. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are on the phone uh, with Stephen Lindstead. He is the chairman and honorary treasurer for the English Spelling Society. You can look up their website, spellingsociety.org, and a great resource, really, for to, you know to help us understand better what's going on. English spelling is difficult. It's hard. It may be putting some undue pressure on. On your kids, and uh, we wanted to talk to an expert about what that means, and uh, and what we do about it. So we welcome you back, Stephen Lindstead, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, great to have you. Talk to us about. Um, we know it's difficult, and the history is interesting too, uh, from the Norman, French, and Old English to the Dutch printers that maybe didn't even understand what they were changing to the vowel glide changes. The English language has been uh, it's kind of gone through the ringer, and um, talk about what you see maybe we could do to teach it more effectively or and uh, any ref- reformation or what, what we would do to make it easier to learn. I, as I said uh, before the break, um, I'm not pretending that changing English spelling would be a magic bullet that uh, led us to instant literacy. I mean, we agonize about uh, adult illiteracy in the United States and in the United Kingdom, and it is really a serious problem because we know how much the lack of functional literacy uh, is associated with social deprivation and crime. So illiteracy really is is a a major problem. The amount spent on education, educational methods, uh, obviously are important. I would say that you know, if you're a parent with a kid who is um, having problems with spelling, um, don't assume he's thick, he or she mm. is thick. Um, there is a genuine problem there. Um, the, certainly in Britain, and I think in the United States, synthetic phonics is regarded as the latest and most effective way of coping with teaching kids spelling. Um, I wouldn't wish to denigrate it in any way, but there have been a number of sources, including our Ofsted um, inspectorate in in the United Kingdom, which don't rely on uh, synthetic phonics alone. It's not necessarily a panacea for everything. Different kids um, learn to spell in different ways. So I think um, all children, you know, need parental encouragement, but they need to uh, learn to spell in the way that's best for them, and it may not always be the method that they're being taught at school. Mm. Um, Spelling, changing the spelling, well, that's been our long-term objective um, in the Spelling Society. We were were founded in 1908, and to be quite honest, we haven't got very far with it since then. Um, Changing spelling is always problematical in any language. Uh, It is always resisted. And with English, we don't have the equivalent of the Académie Française or the Real Academia to lay down rules and changes and things like that. Um, my society is, has a plan, a project, for trying to go about it in a slightly different manner. And we're hoping to try and raise funds for an International English Spelling Congress, uh, which would uh, take in delegates basically from all over the English-speaking world. 
Uh, there would be a great deal of market research as to what was or was not acceptable. And the, they would appoint a commission which drew up a short list of alternative spelling systems. And the reconvened Congress would then choose between them. Uh, we're not suggesting any kind of top-down uh, imposition from governments. Governments aren't interested. There are no votes in spelling change. Right. But hopefully if one had an alternative system which was widely acceptable upon those who are at least benevolently neutral on, on spelling reform, then the hope is that gradually this would run alongside traditional spelling and might eventually take over from it. That's the kind of vision thing mm. that we have at the moment. Well, and, and um, I guess kind of while you're working on that side of it and you know pushing, I guess, even from the more educational side and the governmental side, um, mm. it, parents, like you were saying, we can go – we can be a bigger part of – helping our children figure out how they learn, what's the best way that they like to learn. I love on your website at spellingsociety.org, you have an area for the kids called the Kids' Corner and a guide to English speaking. There's so many different tools and rules that are available and people can just come and and learn. Yeah. Well, that's what we we try to do. Every child is different, and um, it it isn't uh, true that um, all one size fits all. I think all, unless your child is absolutely brilliant at memorizing irregular words, they're going to have some difficulty with, with spelling. And what the, the parent needs to do is to try and find what helps most. Yeah. But I would say to all parents, do open your mind just a little bit uh, and just think whether it may not be the case that our irregular spelling is having some effect mm-hmm. on the problems your, your kid has. No, I, and I, it's interesting. I didn't. My mind wasn't open to that, and it is now. When I just look at your research on your site, it's unbelievable. And like you said, don't think your child is thick. Don't think they're they're stupid that they can't get this. Absolutely it's they're not. just different. They 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 yeah. access it differently. Yeah, the one story about the the the, um, the perils of trying, governments trying to impose spelling change, of course, is dear old Teddy Roosevelt who tried to change uh, American spellings at the beginning of the 20th century and was brought up to a very abrupt halt by the House of Representatives. That's a a lesson in how not to go about spelling reform. Yeah, that's why it's probably, like you're saying, better not to make it political, huh? Just just make it uh, show the success of it. That's how I think yep. this would fly is if I could just see how I could help my children. <laughs> well, we appreciate well, we'll you. We get our Congress off the ground. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've happens. seen what's going on in our election here. Can you imagine if we got into a spelling debate in the middle of it? Well, I try to keep politicians out of spelling reform because they either don't, are not interested or they take delight in saying how uh, appalling any prospect of spelling ah, reform is. Sure, yeah. And that, uh, that doesn't... Uh, I'm not not aimed at any candidate or any party. Right, right. Or averse to spelling reform. But if it could help one or two children, you know, or one or two percent to learn better, and and if we just looked at it more um, directly, I think I think we will see that there's a lot of benefit by by understanding it. Uh, Stephen mindedness is what I'm asking. Yeah, Stephen Lindstedt's his name. Go check out the website spellingsociety.org. Wonderful uh, site for parents. Go, you can go under uh, the section under spelling or for kids. There's a kids corner, and you can learn the guide to English spelling. Lots of wonderful rules and tools for you there. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and continue this uh, this second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We're also going to get into the history of St. Patty's Day. Where did it all come from? Our own producer, Leanna Tan, has put together a, a little piece for us to understand. It's history. 
Lots of fun. Still ahead, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So uh, happy St. Patty's Day, right? And I hope you're wearing your green so you're uh, not going to be pinched. Uh, And Ben, by the way, quit pinching me. It's awkward. You're not wearing green, man. I know. Just keep your hands to yourself. Uh, Where did that tradition come from, by the way? Isn't that a weird? Hey, you don't don't celebrate Easter, then I'm going to pinch you. I think That's, a lot of drunk Irish people in New York. It must have been. Must have been. And why is it they wear green on St. Patty's Day? Or even why are we celebrating it all at all here in the United States? Today we're going to get the lowdown from one of our producers, Leanna Tan, who has uh, recently discovered all of the nitty-gritty details about St. Patty's Day. Mmm, I love that cereal. Remember when you were a kid and it could be St. Patrick's Day every morning during breakfast? Not only did you get a mouthful of styrofoam marshmallows, but you can't forget the joys of slurping down that strange grayish-green tinted milk at the end of every bowl. But in honor of today, the 17th of March, I began to wonder who I really should be thanking for all those bowls of Lucky Charms. I mean, that little leprechaun wouldn't even exist if it weren't for good old St. Patrick, right? But who is St. Patrick and... Why is there a day named after him? Well, gather round and let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a young boy. His parents were wealthy aristocrats who tried to raise their son in Christianity. But this young boy had little interest in religious things growing up. Then, when he was 16, he went outside one day to enjoy the lovely fields of Britain. When suddenly... He was captured by Irish raiders and taken all the way to the Emerald Isles. The Irish pirates enslaved the boy, where he was held in captivity as a sheep herder for six long years. Then, one night, the boy had a vision, and a voice from heaven spoke to him, telling him to leave Ireland and return to his beloved family. So... The boy sneaked away and walked 200 miles to the shore, where he hopped on a boat and sailed back to Britain to be reunited with his family once again. He was so grateful for the vision and to be saved from the pirates that he decided to start practicing Christianity more fervently. Not too long after his return to Britain, an angel appeared to the boy again and told him to return to Ireland and help spread Christianity. He felt it was his duty, so he became a missionary and adopted the Christian name Patrick. Upon his return to Ireland, he taught the people about Christianity by using three-leaf clovers as a visual to teach people about the Holy Trinity. He worked long and hard all the days of his life, converting pagans to Christians. Then, on March 17, 461, sadly but surely, the great missionary Patrick died. But his legend did not. The Irish people made him a saint and remembered the message St. Patrick spread by going to Mass and wearing green clovers on their clothes every year on the anniversary of his death, March 17th, in what became known as St. Patrick's Day. But of course, like any other holiday, once St. Patrick's Day became commercialized, it lost most of its religious meaning and just became a day associated with parades, shamrocks, and green. 
But apparently, celebrating St. Patrick's Day with parades actually started in America after the potato famine, when tons of Irish people were flooding to New York. So I wanted to know if the Irish celebrate St. Patrick's Day the same way we do in America. And who better to ask than the Irish themselves? My name is Nora Corridan, and I am living in Tralee, County Kerry, Ireland. Everybody celebrates St. Patrick's Day, every village, town, city. Everyone has their own way of celebrating it, I'm sure. But um, for us, we get up in the morning, we'd go to Mass, and there'd be the parades, and like we'd take the kids into the town park, and we might go get something to eat with them, and we'd come on home then, and we'd always record the parade in Dublin, because that's the biggest parade in Ireland, is Dublin um, City. I did Irish dancing when I was a child, so we used to have we were in the parade, so we used to have to actually dance in a trailer which was pulled by a tractor. Interesting. So the parade thing came from America, but where did this whole wearing green thing come from? Did you know that green actually wasn't associated with St. Patrick's Day to begin with? Originally, it was a particular shade of blue called St. Patrick's Blue. But green soon took over as people associated Ireland with green because of the grassy landscape and their use of clovers. Oh, and get this. I hate to break it to you, but shamrocks don't actually exist. What the? I know. Shattered my world, too. Apparently, they're just a variety of three-leafed plants like wood sorrel or white and yellow clover. What? Have I been lied to my whole life? I wanted to figure out if anything I'd learned about Ireland was actually true. Do you say top of the morning to you? Not really. I wouldn't now, but some people do. But it's not something that a lot of the Irish would say, but it's an old tradition. Do you have the cereal Lucky Charms in Ireland? Yes, we do. When I was younger, I was addicted to them. I think it was the sugar content I was addicted to. And I can remember at one stage, I was only about seven or eight, and I made my mother collect the tokens for the Lucky Charms. I think you had to have 10 boxes. So I went through 10 boxes and you got a mug and when you poured the tea into the mug, it was black at the start. But when you poured the tea into the mug, the heat used to make a picture come true. So do you think that you have felt some of the luck of the Irish? Have you ever felt luckier because of any of the traditions? Um, I look into them as a lucky person anyway. I find myself lucky in ways without having to actually gain. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm lucky that I'm healthy, I suppose. I'm lucky that too beautiful little girls and I'm married, happily married and I'm lucky that I still have my mum and dad around. I consider myself lucky in ways without having to be gaining something. Well, there you have it. St. Patrick's Day and everything else Irish you've ever wanted to know in a nutshell. And like Nora said, you don't have to find a four-leaf clover or a pot of gold or be Irish to be lucky. So today, remember all the ways that you've struck luck in your life and have a magically delicious day. Excellent job. Leanna Tan. You're, so, that's a magically delicious thing. So you're just fulfilling stereotypes when you say top of the morning to you. Yeah. 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 So she, like Nora, said she doesn't use that phrase, top of the morning to you, but... So you're pushing stereotypes onto the Irish people. No, 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 no. She said, but people... No, 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 no. People <laughs> used to use top... People, older people... Seniors, I, I would say the wise, the wise people from Ireland would have said they used to say "top of the morning" to you. So the little, the little bit of Irish in me, probably a third of me is Irish. It's magically delicious. Your Irish part is magically delicious. Mm-hmm. You got a problem with that? Uh, here's this just in: If you forgot to wear green on St. Patty's Day, don't be surprised if you get pinched. Here's where it came from. Allegedly. Allegedly. I thought it was something that Ben was just doing. Mm. I'm like, Ben's real touchy today. Yeah. Like, do we go to HR or do we yeah. wait till afterwards? How, you know, 
And he, he, it's not like a mean, hard pinch. It's like a soft pinch, and then he looks you in the eye, and then he has it, that twinkle. It would be more of an inappropriate touch, yeah. really. But Yeah, yeah. So you're going to talk to him, right, about yeah, that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him. I just don't want – because once the producers show up. I have, I'm right I, here, guys. I have a standing appointment about 10, 15 every day. Oh, to clarify Ben-isms. Yeah, so right after the show, 15 minutes after we go off the air, I have to go upstairs and explain yeah. what Ben did. HR, yeah, Derek's yeah. there, Don, all the big dogs. They just there. have a folder and they just yeah. update it for the day. And then is that where you download the video? Yeah, surveillance is something they want to want to see on a daily basis. So. That's funny because I have a standing appointment at ten forty five every day. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of weird. But we never talk about that kind of stuff. It's just yeah, we yeah we're not allowed to say certain things. You know, it's a thing about termination and stuff. There's you some just, legalities. There's rules. There's legal rules. Hey, um, so if you get pinched today, here's why you're getting pinched. It is an American tradition that probably started in the early 1700s. St. Patrick revelers thought wearing green made you invisible to leprechauns. Ben actually still believes that. And fairy creatures who would pinch anyone that they could see that was not wearing green. So it's a fairy. It's a fairy pinch. Well timed. People begin pinching those who didn't wear green as a reminder that leprechauns could sneak up and pinch the green abstainers. Hmm. That's great. That's all Ben needed to know. Now he'll be playing Leprechaun all day. I'll hide around a green screen all day. Didn't you? (laughs) Didn't you love? um, That was a great piece by Leanna. Like I didn't know that um, that they had Lucky Charms over there in England. That that is Ireland. In Ireland or Ireland? Sorry. That is, uh, you know, them, them's are fighting words there. I know, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that was the one thing that stood out to me was she was like, I was addicted to it as a child. You're like, what? Wow. what? She goes, that it's probably fantastic. the sugar. I, and then she's right about that that bluish, grayish, greenish yeah, hue in the, in the milk. The Blarney Stone's another thing I've never quite understood, right? You kiss the Blarney Stone. But you, you pretty much have to hang upside down to you have get to, hang, to the yeah. stone. And you have to hang upside down and kind of lean in, and then you get to kiss the Blarney Stone. And I guess it brings you some luck, except it seems like it would also bring disease. Isn't everybody you, kissing it? One, you have a moldy rock. Oh. And two, you have you know all the tourists who want to go up there and smack one up on the rock, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just lay a kiss after, down there. After the... a while, there is a germ contamination issue. Do you do you take some sort of disinfectant wipe and yeah. clean the area before? I, or is that just – Does that affect the lucky? I think it's rude. It's rude. It's like the whaling wall. You don't clean it. You don't you, – when you walk up – when I walked up into the pyramid, you don't – you don't clean. Sweep or something? No, you just experience – yeah. The, the the scent of humanity. Wow. Ugh. Color a picture, if you will. But Nora, I think, nailed it when she said luck just comes by seeing the good in your life. So mm. you just got to – you're a lucky person if you just see all the good things that are happening. If you don't see the good things that are happening, then you don't have any idea how lucky you are. So pretty powerful, uh, pretty powerful lessons from – Ireland. And, you know, why are we celebrating St. Patty's Day? Maybe it's just to have some fun, have some fun. And again, watch out for the leprechauns and the fairies and the pinches. And also watch out for a little man named Ben running around in green tights that just wants to lay a pinch on you. Mm. Awkward. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us and happy St. Patty's Day. We'll be back. Stick with us.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, and we're taking you on a tour of St. Patty's Day. Did you ever wonder why people pinch you on St. Patty's Day? Well, let me tell you. It's because leprechauns would chase down people that weren't wearing green, and they would pinch him. And now Ben does it. I've taken that mantle upon myself. Our creepy little friend Ben is now pinching everybody. I'm in the camp of pinch me, I'll punch you. Ooh, that sounds like a great bumper sticker. Yeah. Pinch me, I punch you. I usually don't wear green. Yeah. And I'm almost probably around half Irish. Oh, yeah. I so. Can, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I need green. I need green before the producers see me. You want this? We have a bottle of water that has a green lid. Do you want to carry that with you? I'll just carry That's a good idea. I'll carry that. Leave that right here. You'd think you wouldn't have to worry about being pinched in this day and age. There's, I, I get it when you're a kid, elementary school, but at some point, you know, yeah. just move on. You know what would keep them away is if you had enough uh, corned beef and cabbage. Mm, that's a good meal. Again, you love the corned beef and cabbage. I've never had it. Mm. It does look – we went looking. I went looking after you told me you had it on Sunday. It looks very good. I'm not big into cabbage. You know, some restaurants, you'll get cabbage. Yeah. Like kind of. It's like one of those things they don't put on the menu. They yeah. tell you everything else and then, oh, there's some cabbage on your plate. Uh, and I'm like, like oh, you're just trying to fill up space? Is that yeah. what you're doing here? It's like kale in the well, salad bar. It's like you go to a, a, a nice steakhouse, right? They get the, And on the menu, they just tell you about the steak. Mm. And then there's maybe you can have a choice of like a potato or something yeah. else. But then they drop like a big old. Water cabbage. Of, no, they put broccoli. Oh, I love that. Right? They drop a huge broccoli tree on your plate. You're like, what are you doing? I'm here for steak. I don't want broccoli. I do you like um do you like cabbage, what's it called? Uh all mode? No. Oh. This <laughs> the shredded cabbage. Oh, Sauerkraut? Sau- no. That's cabbage. But you'll eat it like in the summer. Coleslaw? Coleslaw. Love coleslaw. Depends on how you make it, though. Oh, some people put, Some people put bananas in it. Yeah. That's kind of gross. Mm. Raisins? Not a big no. fan. No, 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 no. Just buy it from KFC and it's perfect. I don't know. Usually it's really watery. Mm. You have to be careful with, with the, the coleslaw. There's a certain time when it's good and then there's a time when it's not so good. And then... <laughs> And then it's not so good. Hey, we were talking earlier about the fact that the debates in Utah were canceled. They were. Sir Donald Trump uh, said, not doing that. And then Kasich says, me either. And Cruz was like, I'm in. People question Kasich because he would be someone who would want more media coverage. Absolutely. And if it were just two of them, you could think they could go. But he's then saying, well, if Donald's not in, the ratings are going to be down. But who cares? You're, it's the free, cheap, inexpensive way to get your message out. 
So it's, he, it's he's complaining because the last time they did it, I think it was a versus, was it like twelve million eyeballs versus eight million eyeballs? It's like just go, but you're gonna have yeah. people watching. It's eight million. It's more than you're gonna get with your commercials, right? But, but they all got out of it, out. and then Fox is like, "Yeah, we're not doing it." And then Fox backed out because it's a rating. See, this is what we talked about in our first hour. They're not into journalism; they're into ratings. Yes. It's about they have to turn over the money. That's why it's so great that we don't ever worry about our ratings. <laughs> you know? I mean, Ben would have been gone a long time ago right. if ratings were an issue. But, alas, I Sorry. am still here. <laughs> ben, you are so loved. Everybody loves Ben. So with the debate, it's not necessarily <laughs> about the political process. No. So much as how many people we can get to watch and how many commercials right. we can sell. Right. It's all about consumerism. But apparently on what would it would have been Monday, right? That's when the debate would have been. So if you need a conference hall at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City on Monday, there's a free room if you want one. Yeah. If anybody needs like a last minute conference room, there's a great big one down there right now. You can grab it. I bet for a steal. They may be setting up for a Comic-Con, but that's just down the hall. You're fine. That's down the hall. (laughs) There'll be some people dressed up, a little awkward, uh, maybe a superhero here or there. Yeah, but that's fine. No, don't worry about it. Piece of cake. They're harmless. Yeah, totally. Hey, um, in a minute, we're going to have Heather Ann Johnson Hadge on the show. She is a a wonderful uh, professor here at Brigham Young University, and she's going to walk us through how to raise the preteen. You know what I mean? It's kind of like... It's just – it's hard because they're going through those changes. At what point do they turn into little monsters? Well, many would say two. Really? The terrible twos. Eh. Three, four. The only thing terrible about my kid at two was the questions. Why? 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 You're yeah. Like, oh. Because I said so. That's what it ends up with. But at some point, when do they turn into hating their parent or disliking them more? Well, it depends how you handle the twos. Oh, okay. If you handle the twos poorly, they turn into that about three. If mm. you handle it really well, you won't see it till they're teenagers. Oh, okay. Till they're preteens. Then at preteens, it becomes that they're trying to push away from mom and dad. Yeah, now they they want to be independent, but mm. they have no resources, no work ethic, no anything. But and they're like, oh, but I'm free. Get off my back. They're cute little muffins. <laughs> So, just, I'm just trying to figure out what to look forward to. Oh, you've got a lot to look forward to. That's good. You you get to – there's nothing greater than trying to get your child to shower <laughs> when they're 16. Right. On a daily basis. Yeah. 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 That's super fun. After they just played football. Does it help to point out that they stink? No. Really? Is that kind of shaming them and that's wrong? Or? Well, it probably it doesn't matter. It's just giving data. You, oh. You smell. Are they aware that they smell? Well, yeah. Well, the oh. flies are like a dead giveaway. Okay. You know? So when flies are circling, it's a dead giveaway that you probably need to shower. It is kind of a bother. My kids say, Dad, I wait till the flies circle, and then I know I've got one more day. <laughs> it's horrible. One more day cook time. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm fermenting, Dad. Just let – can I not just relax? Yeah, sure, whatever. But you better get rid of those flies before you go to school. Mm. Raising preteens, Heather Ann Johnson, a.k.a. Hadge. She'll be, uh, she'll be up in just a few minutes helping us walk through uh, that sometimes difficult process. Uh, you found a really interesting story for us, Terry, about 
uh, March Madness. Are you yes. into March Madness? As, as much as anybody else is. How many brackets have you done? Zero. Really? I've done three brackets. I'm abstaining this year. Are you? I am. I'm pretty sure I've got the winning bracket. Because for me, it doesn't matter. What do you mean? Well, you fill out the bracket, right? And yeah. l- unless you have something writing on the bracket, what's the point? Well, the point is you don't have to work because you're you're watching – you're filling out your bracket. Okay. And then you get to watch the games. Yes. And then you get to correct your bracket and then you get to watch more games and correct your bracket. Why not just enjoy the games? Well, how else would you stick it to your company? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently – uh, March Madness could cost employers $4 billion in lost productivity. Oof. As it arrives, distracted workers from around the country begin paying more attention to their brackets than their work. The firm estimates that more than 50.5 million American workers, or 20% of the American workforce, could participate in office pools this year. That's up five percentage points from last year and nine points from 2014. The loss of productivity in the opening week of March Madness could cost employers nearly $4 billion in lost revenue, and each hour of the workday wasted on building brackets or watching games will cost employers $1.3 billion. That is crazy. And that, and that adds in even the number – like just the fact that like your entire network at your office will slow down as people start trying to live stream the games uh. about noon Eastern. And that sucks so much of of the resources that you can't actually do your work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, this was this study was done by a firm called Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. Oh, wow. Sounds like a fantastic. Their holiday parties have to be <laughs> awesome. Welcome to Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. That's great. So anyway, be careful, folks. Uh, remember that you, you know, you're still getting a paycheck. So maybe do some of that on your own time. Don't want to sound like grandpa. But uh, I am a grandpa. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going on around the rest of the world that we need to be paying attention to? Thanks, Matt. Every Supreme Court nominee since 1875 has received a Senate hearing or vote. A little piece of trivia the White House would very much like to point out. While announcing Merrick Garland as the nominee for the vacancy after the death of Justice Antonin Scalia, President Obama made a point of stressing that he expects the Senate to give his nominee a chance. However, many Senate Republicans believe in denying Obama's pick a hearing uh, on principle. To further promote Obama's nominee, the White House has launched a Twitter account, SCOTUS Nomination, which is tweeting trivia about both the nominee as well as the process of picking the Supreme Court justice, leaving out the fact that President Obama filibustered several Republican nominees mm-hmm. for the Supreme Court and the uh, what's called the Joe Biden rule, which is something Joe Biden put up several years ago, where you don't elect uh, Supreme Court nominees in the final year of a president's term. See, this, this is their plan. Their plan now isn't even to get the guy nominated. Their plan is just hold a hearing. Yes. Everyone else has held a hearing. And then what they did was filibuster the hearing. They just kind of you know, laid low on the whole thing. Yeah. But so they want to get that started because that would create press coverage every day and we'd have to get into his immigration stance, his abortion stance. Yeah. <laughs> they want the they want it to be out there so that this the whole poli- all of politics gets involved yeah. in the hearings makes it kind of crazy. And this is perfect for March Madness where you sometimes you'll see a team stall. 
Right. And they just kind of throw to four corners. Yeah. That's what the GOP is doing. That's what they're doing. They're playing keep away. Keep away. With Donald Trump backing out of their planned Republican debate that was to be on the 21st, some are saying that Trump is afraid of defending his ideas in front of the American people. A few weeks ago, Donald Trump said that he would like to debate Ted Cruz one-on-one, and now he is backing out of the debates. Here's Ted Cruz on Fox News last night explaining how Marco Rubio dropping out will hurt Trump. The closer we get to a one-on-one battle... The worse Donald Trump does, he's been benefited by having a wide field. And, and Marco Rubio's decision to suspend his campaign last night was a bad blow for Donald Trump because it means the opposition to Trump continues to unify and Republicans continue to unify behind our campaign. Both Donald Trump and Ted Cruz will be speaking at the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee conference next week. And Cruz vows to mock Trump for skipping the debate. Ooh. Or criticize, whichever way you want to spin that word. That's them as fighting words. Uh, More than a dozen U.S. military personnel have been disciplined but face no criminal charges for errors that led to the aerial attack on a civilian hospital that killed 42 people in northern Afghanistan last year. Uh, say a U.S. defense official speaking anonymously. From the Associated Press, it says the officials say the disciplinary process is nearly complete and is derived from a military investigation of the October 3rd, 2015 attack on the Doctors Without Borders Hospital in Kandus by a U.S. Air Force AC-130 gunship, one of the most lethal in the U.S. arsenal. The punishments, which have not been publicly announced, are largely administrative. Some actions, such as letters of reprimand, are enough to effectively end chances for further promotion. But wow. The, these seem to be more rank-and-file soldiers rather yeah. than uh, higher-ups, generals, those, those sorts of uh, individuals who also had decision-making uh, responsibility in that whole tragedy right, that right. happened. So, uh, On Sunday morning, Michigan man David Thompson sailed away from Puerto Rico bound for Florida. Sunday night, he staggered into a Puerto Rico hotel, bleeding, exhausted, and wearing only a shirt that he had fashioned into a makeshift shorts. You know, that's the exact same way we found Ben. Do you remember that? Uh, Yeah. At the front door? That was wild. The 68-year-old retired engineer had been knocked off his sailboat by a wave in rough seas around four miles from shore. As he tried to climb back aboard, more waves took away his life jacket, which was connected to the boat and most of his clothes, and and the boat drifted away. So he was just out there by himself. Thompson tells the AP that it took him seven hours to swim and float his way to the beach, where his legs were cut by coral as he made his way ashore. Thompson says thoughts of his two-year-old granddaughter kept him going during the swim. He said, I wanted to see her and hug her again, Hmm. and I have a wife and a nice life. I don't want to die. Oh, wow. So he's four miles out. Rough seas takes him seven seven hours to swim in, and he got pretty messed up, it looks like. But they said that he got to the hotel. They gave him rice and beans, and he just kept eating and eating and eating (laughs) and eating because he was exhausted but hungry. So. See, we didn't give Ben rice and beans That's when right. he came in. We didn't feed him. We just said, yeah. You just told me to start working. Yeah. We well, yeah. You complain so much when you're physically beaten, battered right. by some you know tragedy that went on. It, it's hard to tell. We did tell you to don't wear your short your your shirt, shirt like shorts. That's yeah, a little awkward. Yeah, I didn't have much to, to wear put on. Yeah. Um, but it's okay. But you know, we were, remember that? We were going to get him like a sweatshirt, like a BYU sweatshirt. We thought that'd be great. We just couldn't find one. And then they said there'd be branding issues. That's true. They're not sure if they want to associate the school with someone of his great ilk. Point. Of my lower. Yeah. I'm lower getting class. back to the lower echelon yeah. of, of society. So Yeah. You don't get free stuff at certain levels of the company. Am I going to get paid sometime? 
Sure, sure, sure. Remember 60 yeah. cents on the hour? Right. Okay, well, I just... You negotiated I, that last week. But I, I haven't gotten a paycheck since you guys found me, so... Well, no, but it's only been a couple of years. It takes a while. The, it, the system's complicated. It, it's, I'm still it's on in, probation. It's in the system. No, 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 you're... No? Yeah, it's just in the system. It'll come. Okay. It'll come. And for sure you'll be paid in your next job. Okay. I good. mean, you know, if you get one, that's for sure. Because that's kind of... Did, did you write that letter of recommendation for me? I haven't written that yet, but I was going to. I, I, I might. I mean, I, okay. I'll, I'll probably. There's a good chance that it, it'll be done. Yeah. Oh, I'm leaving today. Uh, blasted. I'll get it done next week. I'll talk. I'll have your people talk to my people. Okay. okay. Um, that's good. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Hadge will be joining us. Heather Ann Johnson. Uh, professor here at Brigham Young University and uh, from her own website, familyvolley.com. Today she's going to teach us about uh, the preteen, how to connect in to that uh, sometimes difficult stage of a preteen, how to communicate, how to, how to you know, get in with them and raise the preteen. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, love your kids and uh, and live longer together. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Heather Ann Johnson, also known as Hadge. You're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. You remember her from the old days? Heather's here. She is a professor here at Brigham Young University. She's an adjunct faculty member and teaches the students um, parenting principles, how to be a successful family, and the importance of families and spending time together. She also is has a, her own website, familyvolley.com. And um, a wonderful program um, called Listen to Your Mother, and she produces the shows here in Utah for that national show. Yeah. Are you still doing that? It's coming up May 5th. Oh, boy. It's a lot of work. It is. It's great, though. Yeah. My, I've never been, but my sister thinks it's the greatest thing. She likes it more than my show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's kind of rude that way. They're, they're in different classes, right? Yeah. They're very, yeah, totally different, different class. Yours is actually in a class. <laughs> in a, no. Which I is, should say categories. Different yeah, categories. Categories is a better go. word That's for a better it. word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Class and the Matt Townsend Show, they don't usually go together. Oh, no. Hey, talk to us about, uh, you're going to help us raise these preteens. Oh, isn't it preteens a Preteens are, yeah. So junior high school kids. Mm -hmm. So here's the interesting thing and kind of where it stems from. We just did a recent study. We, they just, I think it was Harvard, just did a recent study. 2,200 well-educated mothers. Maybe you ran across it. They they went to these mothers and they said, these, these women, you have kids between the age of newborn and grown adults and assessed when it was hardest to be a mother. And hands down, they said they are most stressed. And most depressed yeah. when they are raising junior high kids, <laughs> 12 to 14. Really? Right? So 12, 13, and 14-year-olds, they give us so much grief. Oh. They give us so much grief. And not only that, we've actually found that with mothers, one of or two of the reasons why it's so difficult is because first, up until this point, they've been able to fix everything. Mm-hmm. So we get to this point and you know, a two-year-old needs something, we can fix it. Right. Even a 10-year-old in, in elementary school, we can step in, we can fix things, but all of a sudden they hit junior high and we can't fix everything Uh -uh. and that gets really yucky well and sometimes there's 
this is like where their agency starts to kick in and their identity starts to emerge. You used to be able to outthink them too. Right, right. And now they're like running circles sure. around you. They all of a sudden got a little yeah. smarter. Like, where'd you get this attitude? Way too independent. You're so like your mother. <laughs> well, and the other part too is at this point, they start being hit with a lot of challenges. Yeah. And with that comes a lot of growing pains, some hurt, some frustration. And when our kids hurt, we hurt. It's it's just natural. Right. So those two things come together to create a situation where moms feel really depressed and really stressed about what's going on. So before we jump into some, some suggestions, there's three basic things to understand about your preteens. If we can understand these things, one, it will help us not feel like they're so crazy. Good. And okay. that's going to help, right? Yeah. The second thing is if we can understand these three things, it will help us know what we need to do to support and help parent them. So at this point in their lives, our preteens are seeking three very basic things. They are looking for independence. They are seeking an identity. And they're looking to be accepted. Mm. Anything and everything else can really be coupled under those three key points, right? Looking for that independence, trying to find an identity, and looking to be accepted. So the way they act, it's because they're looking for something. The things they say, it's because they're trying to seek independence. The things that they exhibit, the things that they do, all can go back to those. And isn't that interesting? Because it's all these little comments like, um, how come I can't stay out as long as the older kids do? Right. That's their independence. Right. And and this is where they start dressing weird, and you're like – Really? Right. <laughs> You're going to do that with your hair? <laughs> well, and we and we start to question and really so much of it if not everything comes back to this. Even if they're looking at us and saying I don't like you anymore. It's because they're trying to seek out that independence and that identity to figure out who they really right. are. They really don't not like us. And that's something we can keep in mind. When we look and interview these preteens, they will tell us they want time with their parents and they want time with a family. They do, but they've got so much pressure around them telling them they should do different mm-hmm. that they're really in this torn position to figure out, well, how do I entertain becoming independent and the fact that I want to hang out with you guys too. It's it's tricky. It's a trap. It, so don't take the bait, right? So when they're right. when they're like, I hate you, you're so mean, that they're just expressing independence. Right. So you don't need to say, Well, you want to see what it feels like right. to live alone? <laughs> or I'll show you hate, yeah. right? We can You start... don't know hate. <laughs> right. And so that's our, our very first point. We can we can go right there, and that is to not take this independence personally. Hmm. We are so quick and and naturally, especially as mothers, we are so quick to take it personal that when they seek independence, we call it disobedience. Or the worst thing we can do is we start to guilt trip them. We give them the, I've spent 12 years raising you and now you won't be here on Mondays with our family or now you don't want to listen to what – and we guilt trip them yeah. when really their bodies and their minds have come to a natural place where they're trying to figure out how to fly on their own. Instead of the guilt and instead of feeling like they're being disobedient or trying to do it on purpose, what we should be doing is celebrating that they have the courage to give it a go hmm. because it can be very easy to look at them and say just the opposite. Let's keep you here. Let's keep you protected. And then let's have you live with me till you're 42. That's right. True. And so we want to celebrate. My child has enough courage to go to junior high. Think about it. Oh. Junior high is not yeah. any of our favorite memories no. or places. Well, to be. and if an adult had to go back, you would be shredded. Never. We wouldn't. <laughs> if I had to choose to go back to any time in my life, that would not be Never. it. And most of us, 99% of us would say the same thing. Exactly. And so instead of guilt tripping them, let's 
understand where they're coming from and say, wait a second, let's celebrate the fact that you feel enough courage and enough esteem in yourself and that hopefully I've taught you enough that you can go out and try this on yeah. your own. But that's go your fear, it. right? Your fear is that I'm <clears throat> losing control of this child. Right, if right. I don't – so we tighten up the grip when they kind of need it. A we, little they looser. need it looser, right? Yeah. And again, remember, all these chemical changes, all these physical changes, these mental changes, these are happening whether we like it or not. Yeah. And so we can embrace it and celebrate it and help lift them high so they can fly higher or we can noose them down. And the tighter, like you're saying, we noose them down, the harder they're going to fight mm. because it's their time. It's their time to do those things. The other thing we're going to do is we are go- not going to speak ill of junior high of these years. Right. Yeah. Don't don't demean it. Right. They will figure out fast enough that junior high stinks. (laughs) (laughs) They will figure out fast enough how hard it is and the challenges and the appearance and the smarts and the great. They'll figure that out on their own. They don't need us to constantly be saying, oh, junior high is so miserable. Oh, yeah. I hated junior high. If we say that, then they'll go into it already hating it. Right. Let's let's let them have their experience. Yeah. It's and, exciting. Right. And it doesn't mean we don't share. It just simply means that we leave those interpretations and emotions out of it. Yeah, we right? have a really preconceived judgment. I mean, that's right. the year that's when you have the acne. Oh yeah. Ugh. And girls and uh, boys and yeah. all of that, right? Even you were joking earlier about showering or not. Uh, I mean, you got so many smells uh. and so many things all going on right now. <laughs> Let's let them figure yeah. those things out. Support them. But but don't badmouth it prematurely, yeah. right? They'll well, badmouth yeah. it themselves when they're 25 and when they're 40. Let's <laughs> yeah, let that let happen. Let them do it as an adult. Let's let them do it. So the other things we're going to start doing, we're going to help them find their own identity. Up until this point, their identity has been tied solely to a family, to us. And that's where it should be. We, we create an identity. We keep it strong so that they can believe in themselves to go find their own identity. Mm-hmm. The way we're going to do that is we're going to introduce them to as many things as we can so that they can figure out where it is they feel comfortable. Remember, at this time, they're looking for a peer group to accept them so that they can create that identity. If we don't help them find that group, they will keep searching till they find a group that does accept yeah. them. That group is oftentimes, you know, behind the building doing stuff yeah, we don't want to. may not be like, 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 like Ben, ben pinching ben. people. I know, back there. he thinks he's a leprechaun. <laughs> with the pinching club where yeah. all of a sudden we yeah. don't want him back behind Somebody's the Somebody's going to get bruised. <laughs> right. And so we have to be really careful if we don't allow them to seek out and find that place where they're accepted. Remember, identity, acceptance, yeah. and independence. Then they're going to keep seeking until they find the group And you could will. be working on the identity Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years Always, of age. Yeah, right. right? And, and strengthening so that they know who they are. And then they're going to go find – they're going to tie it to an activity. Mm-hmm. They're going to tie it to an instrument they right. play. They're going to tie it to the drama club. They're going to tie it to something where they feel that they're accepted and can relate. We've got to help them find and that. And I guess it would be better to tie it to a skill – an activity than a feature. Right. Like, you know, your looks. The or appearance your, club. Your height. Right. 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 Let's still steer clear of yeah. right, the where I shop club. Because they're already doing that. Right. Oh, you're in Abercrombie group. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we need them to find that place where they're accepted. That identity will actually carry them through hmm. very easily adulthood, right? Even think about high school. It's still tied to that identity we started creating in junior high. We get into college. You know, I played tennis yeah. as a junior high student and high school and into college. And that was still my identity. What do you like to do? And I was 24 and it was like, well, 
I like to play tennis. I play it's, tennis. It's what I've done my whole life. That's yeah. where my identity's right. tied. And we then carry that into our relationship as we get married and kids. Yeah. So it's key to help them start to find it. We're not saying it can't change. We're not saying it can't evolve. Right. But we are saying they've got to tether themselves to something well, positive. And yeah, it's got to be positive. <clears throat> right. I, my identity, I was the guy that got beat up. Well. <laughs> so um, that had to change. So hopefully that's, that's yeah. you know, modified, been modified. It's a little, a little better now. <laughs> It's still pretty tough in corporate America. Let's do this, Hadge. Let's take a break. Again, we're speaking with Heather Ann Johnson, professor here at Brigham Young University. And uh, you can go check out uh, her her, uh, website, uh, familyvolley.com, and her book, Family Fun Fridays. She'll soon be releasing a Family Fun Monday through Thursday. And then the huge volume of Family Fun Sundays. <laughs> Lots of great stuff uh, on her website, familyvolley.com. Stick with us more with Hadge when we return. to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Today we're talking about raising preteens. Who better to do that than Heather Johnson? Hadge, we call her. You're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. She, uh, we, we like to soak it in, Heather. Such a term of endearment. See, that that lady's name was Madge. It is. So we call you Hadge. <laughs> And we soak it in. She she made such an impact in her yeah. time, right? So I'm going to go with that. We're, she had that making... <laughs> smoker's voice. You're soaking in it. <laughs> That's pretty weird. Uh, just down the hall, because um, I'm not wearing green, Ben pinched me. Right. And I turned around. I'm like, dude. And he's like, you're soaking in it. <laughs> it's so creepy. Anywho. Hey, uh, thanks for being here, Heather. You're teaching us a lot about raising these kids. Don't think that they're... Crazy psychos. They just basically want three things. They do. They want independence, identity, and acceptance. To be accepted. Yep. And so we're going to help them seek out those three things and feel them, right? Another thing we can do during this time, and this is one of my favorite things. What? Is use our scapegoats. Oh. We are so quick to think, especially as they hit this age in their lives, that we've got to be the end-all, be-all yeah. in, their, in their raising and parenting. We need to stop this now. Right. But remember, what are they seeking? They're looking for some independence, which means they're looking for independence from us first and foremost, right, right. right? And so as they do that, it makes it a little harder for them to mentally and physically listen to us all the time. So we're going to use the resources we have. It's not bad. In fact, if you can do it, it is the most amazing process. What do you mean? What resources? So, for example, at this time, your kids might not want to hear a lot about school from you. Because remember, they're trying to find their own way. Yeah. And so why do we have to harp on them about school? Set up an appointment and let a school counselor Uh talk to them about school, about good grades, about applying for colleges, about all those things that are starting to come up, right? About the fact that they haven't been to science in three weeks. Mm -hmm. 
because it's not us. They will naturally resent us because they're trying to fly away from us a little bit. So then let them go be independent. Let them go without be independent. Without being a jerk. Well, yeah, let's right. let you go talk to the counselor it's, and see how they beat exactly you into right. next week. And isn't it funny? We've all seen this. It's why we let a piano teacher teach our kids piano. Yeah. And I don't teach them because they listen to them differently. That's great. So other examples and one I use daily. A scapegoat for our son, who is almost 14, is my dad, his grandpa. Mm. My dad can come get him and they'll drive to get us, you know, ice cream or they'll take a load to the dump or they'll go get his hair. They'll do things. And my dad can talk to him in a way that's different than me or different than his dad. And the funny thing is he internalizes it different. It's not his mom saying, you need to shower every night because, like you said, the flies are circling. Mm -hmm. It's my dad sharing an experience or saying, hey, buddy, it's a great thing if at this point, you know, you – Use them. That's use these so people. so true. Otherwise, what are they for? Right. And as I'm thinking, as I'm sitting <laughs> there thinking, useless, if, I never totally. go, well, if I never go see my grandkids, am I really a grandpa? Sure, sure. But we can pass the baton a little bit if we trust them, which yeah. we, you know, don't go get some right. guy off the street. Right. We're talking about the people we trust. Let them help in, in delaying or in, in uh, communicating the messages that our kids mm-hmm. don't necessarily want to hear from us. Use them. They're fantastic. That's resources. such a great idea. Okay. Next, we are going to watch friendships or vary them. What do you mean so by that? We want our kids to have friends in all areas, all over the place. And this is why. During the preteen years, our kids live and die by their social relationships. One day, though, they're best friends, and the next day, they're best enemies. Unfortunately, their esteem is tied to how those friendships are going. If we can help our kids have friends at school and at church and in our community and at band and at soccer, then when one friendship sinks, right, Titanic, straight to the bottom of the ocean, their esteem doesn't go with it. It's over. That's right. That's good. Because they have friends in lots of other places. So when the friendship at school goes south for like 48 hours, Mm because after about that, they fix, right? They can then go to soccer practice and go, wait a second. I got peeps. This is great. And so I'm not alone and my esteem didn't go down with the ship. This is really, really important. We're very quick as parents to think that we want our kids to have a best friend. Mm -hmm. Anytime we single things out like that, we're actually setting them up for a lot of trouble long term and short term. Encourage varied friendships in varied situations. And you will save yourself as a parent from the every day after school. Susie said this. And mm-hmm. then oh, man, our girls come home and this person's hurt my feelings and now she won't talk to me. So guess what? We're going to go to piano where you have other friends. And it's, like we're a, gonna... it's like a friend pantry. It is. It's, it is. It's exactly hey, right. Just go to the pantry go... <laughs> and get another one. Pick out somebody else. But right? you've got them everywhere. You do. Right? And so we want our kids to have them everywhere. We are not dictating who they can be friends with because they need their independence. Yeah. We are simply asking them or encouraging them to have friends everywhere. Yeah, I love that. You choose it. That's great. But have them all over That's the place. That's great. All right. Another one. We have got to be a master listener at this point. Mm -hmm. Now, up to this point, we could get away with blowing our kids off a little bit in the listening department. Right. Our four year old. I can fake it. Right. And do other things. Uh Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Susie. Fun. Uh Right. Pikachu. Not (laughs) not (laughs) not anymore. We can't do that anymore. Right. We have to become a master listener, which means we have to stop talking. Oh, so and hard. start – like I had my headphones in yesterday and my preteen 
would not be quiet. Right. <laughs> so I had to take them out. Heaven forbid. Oh, and listen, right? Now, here's the thing. First of all, I'm going to exonerate all of you. I'm not saying you have to talk. So really, how great is this? We don't have to talk. We simply have to be quiet. Now, when we're quiet, we're going to do two things. We're going to allow them to talk. This is the same thing I have heard you teach a number of times mm-hmm. in relationships. Once they're quiet or once we're quiet, excuse me, we are going to simply pause and anything they say, we are going to empathize with and reiterate. There you go. Right. The same things you use on couples or that hopefully we're all using in our relationships. We're going to be quiet. We're going to stop, hold still. And then anything that's said to us, we're going to empathize so they feel understood. And then we're going to say it back to them. It's a reiteration. That's it. Okay. So where do we fix them? Right. (laughs) Where do I correct their misstatement? So here's the thing. We don't. We don't need to. We don't need to. The best part too is parents always come to me and I'll sit down with their families and they'll say, yeah, but my 13-year-old never tells me anything. Probably because you're talking too much and because they don't feel like you're empathizing or understanding. So once we do that, once we reiterate, we will see that they will give us more and more and more information if simply we will just do those two things. Now, some people think, do we really want more information? But you do because you want to know where they're going, where they're headed. We need to understand that. That's great. The other thing about being a master listener is it means we do not offer advice until they ask for it. Which could be never. Which could be never. But it won't be if you empathize and reiterate. Mm-hmm. There will come a point where they feel understood. In the instant that your child feels understood, they will then say, so mom, what would you do if you were me? Yep. Bingo. Yeah, it's always right there. Right then and there, you say, he just asked for my advice. Yeah. And that's when you impose it. But hold off until they give you the go-ahead. Well, then all of a sudden they're going to use your advice. Because they just told you I'm open mm-hmm. I'm open to it. Up until that point, they weren't ready. Right. And so the problem is we shove this information at them and they're going, you're giving me information, but you don't even understand me, mom. Why don't you understand me? Because you didn't ever let me give mm-hmm. you the whole story. Right. And so, again, use it in your marriages, but use it with your preteen right here. This is great. Let them see that. And how cool because we just, we just got ourselves off the hook. We don't have to yeah. talk so much. Well, and if this just – if this eliminates 20, 30, 40 percent of the preteen – Pressure. Right. Great. Game on. This is great. Right. And all of a sudden we're again going back to those three things. They're receiving independence because they're telling a story. They're feeling understood. They get to choose when they ask Mm -hmm. for that advice. Right. They're finding their own identity and they're seeking that out. And so they're then feeling accepted not just by their peers but by us. Yeah, absolutely. If they don't feel that acceptance from us, they're going to go find peers who will accept them. Oh, man. And then we lose them. We lose them right there. Huge. What's the one thing? If we had one thing, you got 30 seconds. What's the one thing we can do to immediately? Get in their space. That means – Not their face. Not their face. Totally different. Change change that. (laughs) Not their face but in their space. This means you watch the shows they watch. You listen to the music they listen to. Mm. You show up in their bedroom and talk to them in their zone. Cool. Now, here's what's key about this. It will be a window to their soul. 
when you're sitting watching the shows they're watching, you can then pay attention to the content that they understand. You can see what they laugh at and what they don't laugh at. This will give you an experience unlike any other. You can see, okay, wait a second. He just laughed at that sexual innuendo, which means – First of all, he's chosen this show right. under our roof. Yep. And second of all, does he understand that innuendo? And if he does, I didn't know that. That's yet. right. And his dad's right. in trouble. <laughs> because he hasn't had the talk That's that he right. should have had. I told Dad. him six months ago. It's so true. Get yourself in advice. their space. Get right there and watch it. Those curtains will be drawn, the shades will be open, mm-hmm. and you will see what it is they understand, they comprehend, what drives them all by how they act in their own zone. Right. So get in their space. Hadge, we've been soaking in it. Good stuff. Good stuff. It'll make it easier. It really will. It doesn't have to be miserable. No. And in fact, it could be quite beautiful. It can. It can be awesome. And then they turn it. Then they turn into teens. Right. And, Whole and, different ballgame. And you're ready for it. That's right. Because those preteen years haven't been miserable. Right. You don't have to well, you also fix have, so much. You have the other stuff set up. Their identity, their independence right. is there. They feel accepted. So they're workable. And you have a relationship with them. Heaven forbid. I know. So they'll keep coming back to you. Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Go to her website, familyvolley.com. Also go check out her book, Family Fun Fridays, and all of the other iterations of Family Fun <laughs> days. Uh, Hodge, thanks. Good to be here. You thanks. killed it. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. We're not going to be doing a little uh, uh, talk with the BYU Sports Nation guys. They're they're busy today. I think they're doing um, photo shoots. I just saw lots of fans blowing <laughs> and um, hair blowing in the wind. It's kind of weird. But anyway, we'll come back and continue this final hour, do our hero segments, plus uh, some other crazy news you got to hear about. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, as we're wrapping up uh, the show today, we got to tell you a few crazy stories. Um, you may have heard about uh, the Albany, New York uh, bird problem. So a bird, you know, it's just a bird. What's the big deal with a bird? Well, you know, a lot of times birds will eat, drink, and then they do other natural things that animals do. And apparently a bird shut down a nuclear power plant in New York City because a bird poop. The plant outside New York City was shut down. It's the Indian Point Reactor, safely shut down for three days in December following an electrical disturbance on an outdoor high-voltage transmission line. Can you imagine that? What's, so was it a nuclear attack? No. Huh. Was there it's a leak, a radiation pigeon leak? of the New York variety. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the New York pigeons? crazy. An outside expert is analyzing whether uh, what really was the cause of this. Um, But uh, they're saying they called the bird streaming. They called it technically it's called streaming was the culprit. In a report to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission last month, the New Orleans based company said the automatic reactor shut down and it was apparently from a bird excrement that caused an electric arc between wires on the feeder line at a transmission tower, right? So, Ben, that's why I say 
How many times have I said it? Should we say it together? So let's say it together. You told me so many things, I think. Okay, so no. No. No birds in the studio. That was one time, Matt. But it was a big bird. Huge. So anyway, watch out, folks. Uh, If you are running a power plant, we're here to help. Please keep the birds away from the power plant lines. Hey, also um, in Anchorage, Alaska, this is an important story as well. A case of burning love caused thousands of dollars of damage at a school playground in Alaska. Burning love. It's you got to watch out for it. Anchorage police say a fire from a lit paper ignited the rubber mulch that's around the playground, you know, that mulch. And it spread to two pieces of playground equipment, destroying both. Some sound from the scene. After speaking to witnesses and reviewing surveillance video, police interviewed two 18-year-olds. The teens told investigators that they burned a love letter Tuesday night from an ex-girlfriend on the playground at Bowman Elementary. Mm, Tragic. Rubber mulch is used on the playground to cushion the falls. And this sad man, this sad young man, oh, he's devastated. Uh, he had to he had to burn the love letter. Twenty thousand dollars damage. And uh, we also appreciate um, Ben for that video of him or that audio of him after finding out that uh, that the Kardashians are are not available. That was a really really emotional time for me. You sounded very sincere. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many love letters have you burned? Um, you have to get one before you burn them. Great point. So I have a couple from my mom, but I don't think she's ever going to hate me. Well, actually, um, uh, I don't know how to say it. I didn't want to say this. I didn't want to bring it up, but your mom wanted me to talk to you today. And she said, it's not you. Okay. It's her. Um, she's, she's just, she needs some space. She just needs some space. So she's just, she's going to let you go for a while. Just go. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go into the break room for a while. Um, turn the oven on. Why? I got some letters to burn. (laughs) Yeah. I I wouldn't do that. No, I, 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 I wouldn't do it. I have some. I you need know, to get rid of these. Just go to Don's office. Go to Don's office. Okay. I, I think I have some matches in my backpack, so I'll use those. Yeah, do that. Try that. See how that goes. Hey, our hero story of the day. What a great story this is. Uh, according to NBCBayArea.com, Luna, a German shepherd, went missing at sea on February 10th and was presumed dead for nearly five weeks. But that little Luna... She wasn't dead. The missing puppy fell off a fishing boat nearly five weeks ago in the waters of Southern California. It was recently found by the U.S. Navy and will be reunited with her family Wednesday in San Diego. U.S. Navy officials say Luna and a a one-and-a-half-year-old German shepherd was presumed to be lost at sea after falling overboard near a naval auxiliary landing field, San Clemente Island. In uh, Southern California, if you've ever been, you've probably been to San Clemente. 
That uh, day, Luna's owner, Nick Hayworth, called officials at SCI from his fishing boat to report that he and his crew were bringing in traps from a fishing vessel when Luna vanished. Hayworth said uh, one minute the pup was there, the next minute she was gone. Hayworth and his crew were about two miles off the coast of San Clemente, and they just couldn't find her. They thought she may have tried to swim to shore, but they couldn't find her. Navy staff at the on the island searched for the dog, but to no avail. Hayworth stayed at sea for two days looking for Luna, still no luck. And after about a week of searching for the pup, she was presumed dead, Navy officials said. But nearly five weeks passed, then a miracle happened. On Tuesday morning, a Navy staff headed to work at SCI. They spotted Luna sitting next to the road, and uh, by golly, guess what? She was totally alive. And the pup had lived on the island, and she somehow swam to shore that mile, and then uh, she just lived on the island. They were shocked. The people on the naval base could not believe she had made it. The Navy found her. They found out that Luna had been eating mice off of the island. So Luna will obviously need to be dewormed. And uh, they, they then returned Luna to the parents. How cool is that? So to the U.S. Navy... You are heroes of the day. And uh, well done. See, they're there to not only protect our our lives and our country, they're also to bring back the lost Luna, the little mouse-eating lab. That's the show, folks. Again, can't do it without you. We'll be again here tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. Also, you can check us out on, uh, on TuneIn and iTunes. Download our podcast. Until tomorrow, take care, watch each other's backs, and make it a great one.